Welcome to the Get Deep Podcast, where premium spirits meet quality conversation. Featuring your extremely good-looking co-hosts, Aaron Jones and Wes Otto. Now, take off those floaties, get your ass out of the shallow end, and let's get deep. Hello, friends. Tonight is going to be a good night because we have Aaron Jones back. Last podcast, he wasn't here. Hey, sweetheart. Welcome back. Yeah, thank you. Glad you could make it. It's good to see you. Yeah, good to see you too. We also have a new guest that, uh, this is interesting because neither Aaron or I actually know Lori from anything at all, really. I mean, we didn't know her, but we got this recommendation from a listener who was a big fan of hers and gave us a bunch of reasons as to why we should have her on the show and... We couldn't help but agree. Tonight, it's Lori Rittenhouse. Am I going to say the right last or the last name correctly? Undoubtedly, no. Woolmouth? Very close. Okay. Woolmouth. Close. Woolmouth. <laughs> there we go. So, Lori. Like a woolly Woolmouth. Yeah. It's, it's a mouthful. It's, it's, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. The pause. I just loved the pause. She's like, did you really go there? I don't know. He did. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, I hate him now. No more talking to that guy. That's fantastic. Uh, anyways, Wes, no. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right? That's good. No, so uh, Lori's got an amazing background in athletics, dating back all the way to her own high school career and then through college and eventually coaching and just a, a really cool career of winning, if I can say so. So uh, tonight... We just want to talk about you, Lori. All right, let's do it. Let's get into, you're a, you're a Mankato girl, right? I am. I grew up in Lono. Lono. Yeah, best place to grow up. Very nice. That's you went awesome. to Mankato West? I did. And played volleyball there? And basketball, a little softball and track and field. Cool. Yeah, it was. But it, uh, so started as a Monroe Mustang, lived like nice. a block away from there. and I was just going to ask, what street did you grow up on in Lono? Harrison Avenue. There you go. Yep, but it was great. I had cousins who lived on McKinley. My grandparents and great aunt Mabel lived on Wheeler. Um, yeah, lots of friends. It's, uh, I don't know, I guess such an idyllic way to grow up where you just were outside all day, which is where I kind of attribute a lot of the athleticism, if you will, is inside wasn't an option, but you just ran through everybody's yards, raced each other, beat on each other, had a really cool core group of friends. Um, and it was uh, a, a lot of fun, a lot of fun. So yeah, so it was a Mustang, then Garfield, mm-hmm. and then um, West, I'm like that old from the 90s, uh, was the last junior high to be part of Mankato West which if you think of it now, that seems just crazy that you would have seventh and eighth graders in a high school setting. And then, uh, yeah, they decided to build Dakota Meadows. So me and my friends had the first handprints on those walls. Nice, you did. Yep, cool. yep, yep. So we, we broke it in and then back to West. So yeah, it's been, uh, I love being in Mankato. I think it's fantastic to be back home, but uh, attribute a lot of the good stuff to Lodo. Yeah. Has your family always been in Mankato? It sounds like your grandma lived here. And Yeah, so um, well, you guys know where the Circle Inn is, right? Of course. So mm-hmm. there's those new, well, not newish apartment buildings behind. That was actually my grandparents' farm. Really? Yep. So my grandparents lived in one home. They had an apartment building on the next. And then, like I said, my great aunt Mabel lived in the house next door. Great grandma, it was just like, I guess you're... Your commune, if you will. Yeah. Um, and then whenever it was, I think like mid-90s, they the city took the property and moved all the houses. So now I can take my kids on a tour and be like, this house. And you drive 10 more miles and this house was this person's. <laughs> um, but yeah, grew up going to Much's Hardware. Oh, gosh. Bobby Joe's, Grandma V's, mm-hmm. you know. 
All All good that. spots. It was, it was, yeah. I think my uncle had a stool at the Circle Inn, so. <laughs> Which is super cool yeah, as a kid. You're that's like, oh. awesome. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Neat. Random side tangent. Are you related to Sarah, Kristen, and Emily? They are my cousins. I wonder. How do you know them? So the only reason why I know this, my office administrator is my aunt, and she, along with two of my other aunts, used to have a daycare. Oh, okay. And when they heard the last name Rittenhouse, they said, well, we used to watch three Rittenhouses. They were the sweetest girls ever. Are they related? <laughs> I go, well, probably, because I'm seeing on Google that they were big into volleyball. Yeah. And so I just yeah. drew, the, drew the connections there and figured it out. Oh, gosh, so. small world. Yeah. That's awesome. Yep, yeah, they are my younger cousins. Fun. Yeah. Okay. Well, we can talk more about that later when we get into the volleyball side of things, because <laughs> it seems like it's a family tradition at that point. But uh, So you mentioned earlier you were a multi-sport athlete at Maine Kiddo West. You, was it volleyball, basketball? Was there anything else? Um, track. And then I tried softball just cause I had some friends who were doing it, but track was the third sport, if you will. Um, sure. basketball was my first love. Yeah. Like could not get enough of it growing up. I had like a little 12 inch TV that whatever game was on, I was just glued to watching. So it's probably where I became a blue devil fan. Sorry, any target mm. out there, but <laughs> love me some coach K. Sure. Um, but yeah, I started very young at that and just took to it. Just, if there was a moment that I wasn't busy, I was going to be outside shooting hoops. Um, and then somehow that parlayed into volleyball. I specifically remember a moment at the Mankato West um, lobby. And it used to be back then, you didn't have online, right? This was still when you had to sign up physically for whatever sport you were going to participate in. And I remember having this just like pull of like, gosh, do I do cross country? Or do I do volleyball? Because volleyball, when you're young, is just not a fun sport. If anybody has a child 14 and under who plays volleyball, it's brutal. Like, it's just hard. It's a really difficult sport until you're coordinated enough, strong enough, and have some teammates to kind of contribute. So I just wasn't into it. I was like, this is lame. Let me just go run. Let me go. <laughs> I'm going to go run. I know I can do that well, too. Like, let's, let's do this. Um, but turns out I didn't have a choice because my mom was not interested in schlepping two kids to different places. And my older <laughs> sister was in volleyball. So um, it's kind of weird how those moments, you know, just kind of change the trajectory. Yeah. So I um, played volleyball and it quickly, the more I got into it and discovered this whole new realm of level and ability and skill set and competitiveness that I kind of shifted away a little bit from basketball. Who was the coach for um, the volleyball team at West during when you started? One of the best coaches I think I've ever had, um, Jane Bruns. Okay. Yep. She had a couple of kids, Bryce and Preston Bruns, who yeah. were total ballers ah, and competitors. Preston. Yeah, they were like born when I was playing and just little gym rats, just sure. sweeties. Um, but yeah, she really set the tone for, I think, just habits of excellence that you just need to be able to do things when you maybe don't feel like it. And I think that's one trait that... Um, elite athletes have is they understand commitment isn't just doing what you say you do when you feel like it it's sticking with those things that are going to get you where you want to be um, repeatedly whether your shoulder hurts knee hurts you're tired you name it there's always excuses but you got to push through those and she was a no-nonsense type person and that resonates with me that's like my supreme motivator um, so she was great and I ended up having her for basketball too um, for B squad a little bit so Dual it was coach. yeah she she was money and for high jump I suppose so she she was always in it and huge influence in me wow she was coach for a long time there was she not 
very long time. I have no idea how long, but she really turned out some really great athletes. Right. That's awesome. It's always, so would you say that early on or or to this day, she was kind of one of the most influential coaches like in your life, just with the the foundational? For sure. I think, um, I guess we only know what we know, right? But I think um, between her and then, I don't know if you guys have heard of Cliff Woodford. um, He was the basketball coach at West for a very long time too. And kind of apples and oranges, if you will, in terms of like how they coached, but he really displayed that you're people first really, you knew he cared about you as a whole person. And then there was basketball um, and he had some just great isms and and things like that. So I do feel fortunate when you just kind of see, or at the time you don't realize how fortunate you are to have these just really great human beings that are providing such an influence. And then as you get older, as we do, you reflect and you start to appreciate and um, really understand or like, oh, that's what this coach said. And now it comes out you when you're doing the same thing. Yeah. It's really fun to look back at your high school or middle school careers even, and just think about the different people that coached you. And I didn't realize the coaching styles. I just thought of them as like, Oh, this is the nice one or or, this is the one that, you know, was a little bit more forgiving or whatever it might Mm. be, or this was the hard ass. But then when you start to get older and you're looking at the styles, you realize which ones you actually performed better under. And you, you realize that there's entire styles to coaching, which is, I'm sure another thing we'll get into with you, but um, it's kind of cool to be able to reflect and look at that. Yeah. And it's great too, to see it's not just one way, like there's more than one way to be great at something. And I think that especially in coaching, people try to emulate too much like, Ooh, this coach, that coach. And I had to, I think of the most authentic, real coaches who just to their core is what they were going to give you. Um, and that was super influential. So how tall are you? Seven feet. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're taller than me, so it feels like it. <laughs> uh, six one. Okay. So, because I was just curious, when um, when did you reach six one? Like, when was your height? Oh, my when gosh. was your growth spurt? I was like a 90 pound six one seventh grader. <laughs> I mean, it was just like, woo, super awkward. Sure. So that's why you thought basketball, right? Yeah. Well, it was fun. And basketball I liked because you can like get physical and that was fun. And it was nice going from being the gangly seventh grader just getting like flicked around till you're finally senior year after you hit the weights to be like ha ha take that elbow and yeah. you know enjoy was, that yeah please do right Fun. Uh, yeah but I was always a foot taller than everybody um and thankfully I kind of stopped around seventh eighth grade um, siblings I have a sister who's older and then I have a couple stepbrothers younger okay I, were you the most competitive in your family or did your, your sister who's older, was she also an athlete and pretty competitive? She was an athlete. We were just stylistically different. Um, she was very, um, she used her smarts athletically um, in terms of she could study a game and figure out how to scheme and things like that. Where I usually like will take volleyball. I just jumped high and tried to hit the ball as hard as I could. I had no idea where it was going, but it works up until a certain point, you know, then you get to college and you know, there's a whole nother level of like, Oh, everybody's equally as talented, if not more. So, Um, but she chose sports that I followed in her footsteps and I was moved up very young and I think, think I was able to do that successfully, which I don't think often happens because she was good to me. Um, all of her friends were very good of just like, you know, taking me under their wing, making me feel completely comfortable and supporting, um, maybe taking one of their spots that 
quote unquote should have been theirs, that type of stuff. So I'm really grateful for um, my sister for just kind of paving the way, but also just really being that rock for me through those, those years. Very nice. Yeah. How about parents? Were they also athletes as well or? <laughs> Sorry, I, I laugh because my mom, she, she's competitive, but she is from an era where women didn't do things right. So, um, we would be shooting out front and our big thing was we would do like free throws and whoever um, missed first had to unload the dishwasher. Woo, you know, high stakes, <laughs> high stakes, guys, high stakes. Um, but she did a shot once and I don't know how to explain it over the radio, but it is near impossible to hit the front window of our home <laughs> via this the, the basket location and somehow she pulled it off and it was just hilarious that so she unloaded the dishwasher that day nice <laughs> nice yep um and then my dad um the Rittenhouse side they definitely had athletes I've run into countless people in town that kind of similar like oh your cousins or your uncles this or that and I have uh, and they all comment on just like the athleticism of my uncles okay um, but maybe my mom would have been had she had an opportunity it just sure. wasn't there sure yeah well, that's cool. I mean, what, at what point, so, and I'm sure we'll, we're going to get into your volleyball journey here, but at what point did you realize like volleyball was your, 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 your ticket, if you will, or that I was the jam or that was the, the way you were going to focus your time? Well, in seventh grade, I would receive recruiting letters for offers, full rides for basketball and volleyball. Seventh grade. Full ride. Mm-hmm. And some for both. Wow. So like I said, basketball, like I always tell people, like I was a much better basketball player than I was volleyball player. Like what position did you play in basketball? All of them. All of them. Okay. Yeah. And you were six one by that point or about, mm-hmm. about six one. Yep. Yep. At, I'm just going to backtrack just for a second, but mm-hmm. what, so when you were out there at that age, you're getting these letters, right? Are you towering above the other girls at that age? I mean, for my same age, yes. And then as you get to your senior year, I mean, there's definitely, at that time, the big nine had some incredible basketball players, um, tons. I mean, some of them are in the WNBA, like just really great ball. Um, But again, it was, you know, I could, I could jump. I understood the game. It just played to my strengths and, um, you know, my idol still is, was Michael Jordan, you know, hello everyone from the nineties, but, (laughs) um, you know, there was just so much about it that I enjoyed. So I think had I had to make a decision in seventh grade, I probably would have been playing basketball. Sure. Um, and then as I kind of went further and further along, there was just something about volleyball that became really exciting in a way. I think I just had played so much of like the same kind of level of basketball that I'd if I had a taste of what that next level would have been, maybe I would have made a different decision too. Um, Cause I remember the, playing in the all-star game and being like, Oh, like look what you can do when other people like can respond to this same type of um, play or style or just things like that. It was really um, an exciting time, but I have no regrets or anything like that. Um, so I think I decided must've been junior year. It was way later than it is nowadays, you know, sure. from, you know, sixth grade. So back to these letters though, yeah. all right, because I got you off track there, but you were receiving letters um, in seventh grade. Yeah, I had just stacks and stacks of, because there was no email then, right? That wasn't it. Um, and so you would just get exposure and people would send you packets and magazines. Um, 
videos, just all sorts of stuff. And um, I was super naive about it, didn't really have a lot of guidance in-house. And that sounds like a terrible thing, but in the end, I think it was awesome because it also put no pressure on it then. I knew that the decision was mine and mine alone. So at that time, you could take five official visits. So I had them set up, um, I think I was Wisconsin, Minnesota, Kansas, because at the time, Roy Williams was coaching there. And I was like, yes. <laughs> um, really good reasons to go for volleyball programs, right? <laughs> um, Texas, and I don't remember, even remember where the fifth one was. Um, and so I took one trip to Kansas and it was just like so different and I love different, but I mean, it was different. I mean, I remember going on the visit and like, I kid you not, like a naked cowboy was running in the bar. Like it just was like, <laughs> I'm going here. Totally yeah. right. How did yeah. I not go? Right. Yeah. I mean, a few years later, <laughs> maybe <laughs> I like this Shows place. Wrong. Rock chalk. Here we go. <laughs> oh, it was, it was crazy. So then I quickly knew, um, that I wanted to stay in the Midwest. Um, and I originally had told Wisconsin I wasn't interested because I had never heard of the Badgers. I mean, it's just, it's so silly when I look back at it now, of like, what? But it just, sports weren't as prominent as they were. And I remember telling um, the coach, I was just like, no, I just kind of want to go someplace that has a little bit more to offer, Pfft, you know? <laughs> and he's quite the salesman. So he's like, you just come for a visit, just come for a visit. So um, it came down to the Gophers and the Badgers. Um, took two visits to the Gophers. Uh, my mom really wanted me to go there. I really thought I was going to verbal commit on site, but there was just something about UW that spoke to me. Um, and so really um, happy that that's the choice. Was this junior year or senior year? Uh, this is, I think, junior year. Okay. Yeah, it all starts to blend together, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was a ton of fun. And at that time, the Badgers were, they had won their first Big Ten championship. Um, there's a big name coach, John Cook. He's at Nebraska now, but he was at Wisconsin. And um, I had a lot of respect for him. And his style was like exactly what I was just going to eat up. And I had full buy-in of like, okay, I come to you, you're going to turn me just into an animal. Just a beast. Yeah, yeah. So it was, um, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun, but uh, some interesting visits. It's no joke about the naked cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> Makes me want to go visit. <laughs> what about you, Wes? No, but it would make you interested. Oh, thank you. Yes, yeah, there are some Maybe little naked, naked cowboys. Cow and, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's yeah, a yeah, I'll, yeah, take, that's I'll take you there. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Well, before we get off your high school career, can you talk a little bit about some of the success you had at that level? Yeah, yeah. Um, what was amazing about those teams is the collective group of athletes that we had. Um, they were the most like unselfish group of people I that I've ever, you know, apart from my Badger time, I guess. Like it was just such an amazing group of people who were so supportive, had each other's back. And it wasn't like, ooh, kumbaya, we always get along. It wasn't. But when if there were issues or there were tough times, like you just turned inward. And it was just such a cool culture to be a part of. Um, and it's kind of interesting now because there's um, three of the players that spent quite a bit of time with have like slowly moved back to Mankato. So we have like our monthly brunch or happy hours. And it's just huh. really, there's something about that bond with teammates and the stuff you've been through where we're so like, we do not remember the details anymore. Like, psh, no, but it is, there's just this connection. Um, and they just know you so well from just those kind of formative years. So it's, it was a really great time. We, I don't really, gosh, I don't think we ever won any big nines, but like I said, we played against some very, 
difficult um, opponents. But, I mean, we would have some featured games where they would bring in extra bleachers to West to fill the sides. Like, wow. we were selling things out. We would play, the boys would play before us, we would play after. Like, and it wasn't because of me, it was because there were so many gifted athletes on that team and and we were just tenacious like you know I always when I would coach I always be like you don't just stab someone you twist the knife <laughs> and it was a whole team that was just like we are going to get you you know where I love it the top teams our goal would be yeah to win but it was their best player is going to cry <laughs> I love that. And that's what we would do. It'd be like, okay, I got her. All right, switch. You got her because you're fresh. And, you know, we didn't always win those games, but we usually succeeded. And not by playing dirty, but just by really getting after someone and making them so uncomfortable. I think uh, Kobe Bryant quotes, like, you know, it's just like, I want them to rethink their reason for being there. And that was kind of exactly what what we would try to do. And I don't think it's very common these days to find a group of female athletes with that mindset anymore. And I don't know what or why or how I got so lucky, but it was absolutely fantastic. Going to coaching for just a second yeah. and we'll, we'll, we'll go back cause we're talking about high school and then getting into college. But with the comment you just made, is it um, difficult at the collegiate level to try to get the ladies that you coach to buy into that type of mentality? Is it just different kind of way of thinking because think, they're older? Well, you get two ways to go about it, or at least we attempted to, right? One, you recruiting. And these days, like, you would recruit so early. So you're recruiting these girls. I think the year I left coaching, we were we had closed out that sophomore year's class, which is crazy early for Division Two. So, like, you're recruiting these girls 8th grade, ninth grade, 10th grade. But I learned very early that I had to, like, talk to the coaches and be like, all right, how do they respond to directness? Because direct in life, direct in coaching – um, and definitely have an edge, especially once competition gets going where, um, you know, I guess for me, coach now is wanted the girls to know, like, I love you, but I'm going to tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. And that definitely doesn't resonate for everybody, but I do think it resonates with people who want to legit be champions and want to experience high level success, not just in sport, but everywhere. Like you have to be able to hear that feedback and not put up a wall or get defensive, but be like, okay. And I know it's okay because I've developed a relationship with that person. And I know that she's just showing me that she cares through her honesty and wanting to bring out the best in me. So there's a long winded response. I don't even remember what your question <laughs> no, was. No, amen. That's <laughs> well, a great response. It's, it's the truth. I mean, people, I think people want honesty, right? People mm -hmm. want straightforwardness and honesty, but then well, they say they, they do they, exactly. And That's then they get the, it. And then <clears throat> different people and different personalities handle it different based but on I, how they were raised. And I will say the common theme probably for all of our total like baller players that we had at MSU was those people who really were like, no, like, tell me, I need to hear that. And they would just churn it and be like, okay, I hear what you're saying. I don't agree with it right now, but you're the coach. I get it. And, and I'm going to make these changes or I'm going to take more reps or I'm going to respond with different body language because that's what my team needs. Okay. Like lay it on me. I'm, I'm there. It's funny to hear that because we had Mike Hastings on a couple oh, episodes ago best. and we haven't released his episode yet. So you probably oh. haven't had a chance, but, um, he said something very similar. He said that he had this, this guy that he was working with and he, uh, he wanted it direct. Right. Mm -hmm. every, every one of his players kind of said the same thing. Oh, yeah, just give it to me. Be be a hard ass if I need it. Just get in my face. Tell me about it. And so he did that for the better part of a year. And then he saw that it just wasn't trending anywhere. Mm -hmm. And he 
ended up pulling him aside and saying, hey, this is what you asked me for, but I don't think that's working. (laughs) And totally changed his approach. So it's funny to hear you say that that's what you hear too as a coach, but it doesn't always work that way. No. Oh, how lucky for you guys. Justin's the man. It was fun. So great. Yeah, he's he's a great guy great guy. We get a chance to, uh, at Jay Long's, uh, to dress hasty and a lot of the coaches and then a lot of the players too in suits and things. So a great group of men and it's a great community of just athletics and people that we have here. It's really great. Awesome. Fantastic. Watching for that one. We even held this, we, uh, hung little banner. Obviously I don't think he loves the runner up part, but it is a banner we hung in the rafters. I mean, come on. If you want one, Lori, we'll hang one up there for you too. How about that? I don't need to see the runner up. (laughs) (laughs) Been there. Oh boy. Oh, for sure. So anything else in the high school career, anything that, um, you know, when you were talking about, the competitiveness and the the twisting of the knife, which I love. Uh, I couldn't tell if you were talking about your basketball or your volleyball career. It's both. It's both. Because <laughs> I'm curious how that works when you're playing volleyball. Are you purposely doing? Is it is it called digs? Or, or no, digs is like this, right? Digs how, would be like someone thinks they're like. I yeah. loved. You call them stealing a kill, right? And mm-hmm. nothing made me feel greater than someone who was supposedly better than me, mm-hmm. was better than me, or was maybe spouting off a little bit in the papers that just like, that gets me going. Right. (laughs) Absolutely love it. And so, you know, you're in the front row and that's where the bread and butter of my game really was just again, like I didn't know where I was hitting it. I just jumped high, hit hard, boom. But then as you get a little bit older, you're like, oh, I can pick on the weakest link. So you might hit one spot because you know that girl's never going to get it. Sure. Or you might hit off a blocker because it's so frustrating. They think you got, they got you and you're like, nope, but <laughs> there's no defender out of bounds. So if you send that ball there, you're going to get a kill. And it's just, it's, it's an amazing time. But the dig, when you're stealing that kill, um, I would say that, especially in high school, was one of my favorites because I think people always want to show more than what they're known for. And so I was known as like getting kills, getting kills. And then I purposely and intentionally was really trying to develop my defensive game. Sure. And finally, finally, by like maybe junior, senior year, it was, um, you know, you could just read the game and, and start to do some of that and frustrate people. So it was good times. That I was going to ask, so would you, I have no idea, but would you agree dig, digs are the hardest thing? I mean, because you're trying to read where that spike is going, right? Or that, that, that kill and you get a So much react. that happens. So I don't think a lot of people understand, like the higher level you go, your defense starts from the service line. So as a coach, you're scheming because you've watched film, you're playing the odds, like you tendencies. So I know if I serve like the right back corner, I'm shifting our frontline defense, the block, and then our back line is assigned to do something based off the read of the set. There's just so many moving parts where it's not just you doink it over and hope for the, like there's so many of these little chess games kind of with a game within the game that really are what differentiate those top teams. Cause they're all filled with just stud, ridiculously freak athletes where you're just like, Oh my gosh, how did that person do that? So to that point, the dig is like your last line of defense. So if your serve failed, like maybe they missed the zone. So now they're setting their best hitter. You're hoping your block is doing what they're supposed to do and funneling, but they probably got duped because it's a good pass. And now your dig like as a defender, you've got to make that read off of her approach, her hips, what's her arms doing, tendencies, and you've got all these like shot charts going through your brain all in a split second. So there's a lot to uh, go into it. And then you just 
in the end, God turned the brain off and react too. So right. it's this like juxtaposition of you got so much knowledge going on slash just play. It's right. amazing. I've watched a lot of U of M because they're constantly on TV yes. and I'm always impressed by it, but I had no idea the chess, the game inside of the game, it's, that there was that much strategy yeah. behind those and plays. That's the part in coaching that I fell in love with is yeah. where you just get to like, try to like squeak out a few points because you got to win by two. Right. Mm -hmm. So sometimes that's, that's it, right. You're, you're pushing just a little bit, little bit, little bit, and you find a little weakness that you're like, okay, we can exploit that. And there's, there's the difference. So it's, it's a ton of fun. And the higher level you go, you're able to execute those pieces. So were high school coaches able to play to that a little bit, or was it, um, more so just what's happening in that game and then adjust because of that? I think, cause I can't imagine there was a lot of like film. I mean, in football for us in high school, we used to have film all the time. Did you guys have film? No, in those days, I mean, it was flat out VHS and like <laughs> It, it wouldn't have done us any good. Yep. Um, we were well coached in, in terms of knowing in situation A, here's what I want you to do, set you up for success. Sure. And then um, one of the fun parts that I think about any sport or activity is figuring out how to win. And that's where like, you know, because people are like, oh, you just like to win. I'm like, I don't actually. I absolutely am obsessed with the process of winning, which is that like, how can I find a way to defeat you? And if I get beat, I'm totally fine with that because I know you, I legit got beat. I, I left nothing out there, that type of thing. So um, in volleyball, it was really fun with that part of like, oh, well, I've noticed this. She only sets this spot when she's in this part of the court. You use that to your advantage, those types of things. Cool. And now I'll stop geeking out about volleyball. No, I, <laughs> I like knows. it. I, I thought it's on education. <laughs> I thought what I was doing in Jamaica drunk on the beach was professional and now I realize it's not. Mm. So now I need to Equally fun, life. perhaps. Equally fun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is, volleyball is very fun. Uh, yes, on your levels is, you know, much, much different. But I love going on vacation and getting a It's a great way to meet of, people, right? Oh, it's great. It's hey, you want to play? And you get pe meet people from all the different parts of the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, it's awesome. And sometimes you get hit in the face and that's okay too. Um, because there's enough whiskey and tequila to go around to make it better. So Agreed. that's good. <laughs> Love it. How many times have you gotten hit in the face? Do you have any? Never. I, never. <laughs> never. <laughs> uh, I remember. Oh, it's funny. I was actually just reminiscing with, um, I played with an all-American setter named Lizzie Fitzgerald. And we were talking yesterday, actually. And the story came up because it's um, the tournament play for Division One came out yesterday. So we're just like, oh, who are you picking? This type of thing. Um, and we were talking about a story. So we were playing at Penn State. And I don't remember the outside hitter, Penn State's outside hitter at the time. But she was a beast. Like, ended up playing on the Olympic team. And I went to block. But you want to press your hands over the net. And sometimes you just don't, the speed of the set, blah, blah, blah. And so I just got snow coned, which is when you get just Oof. the ball attacked right to your face. However, it was an amazing up. It like went right where it should. <laughs> but all I, I was just laughing because she, I could tell she was going to set me in it and I couldn't see, like, it was just, you know, I mean, picture the birds like going around my head. I was like, and I just remember being like, Lizzie, don't set me, don't set me outside, outside. Cause I just, it took probably a good, like, you know, a couple points before like my full vision came back. But you were still with it enough to be like, don't 
don't set me. Well, like, I knew. Well, out, you know, I mean, I didn't want to lose the point after that sure, amazing sure. dig off my forehead. <laughs> right. Come on now, you, you know. It, totally, yeah. I agree. I agree. Do you so. think that was a concussion? It was this pre-concussion uh, protocol. Thank so goodness, right? They yeah. would have totally had me <laughs> out and check in on that type of thing. So thank goodness. In Any those days. broken noses or anything like that? Because does that happen quite a bit in volleyball where people break a nose, taking one off the? You the can. Dome? Concussions do happen frequently. Um, just with the speed of the ball and, you know, sure. and again, it's often not like the actual like impact. It's that whiplash effect that, you know, happens. Same with like football and any, any of those, those sports. So it does happen a lot. Uh, now, you know, you jack your fingers up, you hurt your shoulder, um, did have some knee injuries, that type of stuff, but that was after college. So sure. Um, yeah. 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 So let's maybe segue into college. Okay. Um, you decided on Wisconsin. That was junior year. Mm-hmm. What was the like reaction as far as friends, family? Let's let's start there. Oh, I'm one of the Gophers. She oh, had good taste. She, she had really, bad taste. I know, right? right, right. <laughs> <laughs> State Street, State Street did it for her in Wisconsin. It really, no doubt, no doubt. They had a bar called the KK. No, <laughs> that's where all the recruits got snuck in. <laughs> nice, nice. Oh, totally. A little insider information. Um, yeah, it was exciting. I felt relief. More than anything, the major way that coaches recruited then was by phone. And it sounds great, but that's before cell phones too. So it just was this constant, like you'd have messages and I would feel like it would be a sign of disrespect if I wouldn't call coach so-and-so back or like this piece and that. And, and you do start to develop some relationships with them. And then it's a really difficult time when you have, you know, that's not where I'm going to go. And having then been on the coach's side of it, you know, I always made sure to tell like recruits of just like, I want you to go. What's going to be best for you. And when that's not us, don't worry. I'm still going to be your biggest fan. Right. Like not when they transfer, they choose you, but um, (laughs) hell yeah. Learn that one from coach K. I love it. Um, but it was, it was a sense of relief for me. And then there was just a sense of pride. You know, I made sure I got like every badger gear, keychain, sweatshirt, you know, I was like, whoop, I'm all in, which tends to be my personality on a lot of things is once I make a decision, I'm all in. Um, and it was, it was fantastic. And it really kind of freed me up, I think, for that last year, just to um, focus on lifting, fitness, enjoyment of life, just knowing that like that decision um, was done. And then I could just kind of move on with the other side of things. So was that a full ride? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Yep. Did you have a like predetermined major or something that you wanted to go for when you went there? I wish I could say yes, but I've never known what I wanted to do. You just take advantage of opportunities, I guess. So at that time they had a rule that you had to declare your major before your junior year. I didn't know about that rule till like two days before preseason. (laughs) So I found like the one professor on campus that was still in his office to sign the form that I needed to be eligible. I mean, isn't that like just ridiculous? Um, But it ended up being in um, biological conservation, which is an absolute passion of mine always has been of just sustainability. Like this is before sustainability became a thing. Like my parents were just like, you did what? (laughs) I don't know what that is. And you know, now it's a super trendy major. So started it here folks. Yep. Um, but that's really how I chose. Um, I was like, well, you're taking random classes. I tended to like these a little bit and, um, you know, luck's on your side sometimes that it ended up being the right major for me, even though I've never used it. (laughs) Cool. Yeah. It was better than com arts or what was the other one that athletes just would like get put into if they didn't know. So it was, it worked for me. It worked. So did you play your freshman year right away or were you on the bench? I redshirted. 
which um, again was super naive in anything. I had no idea what a redshirt was. Well, at I think that time. most of our fans probably know what it is, but for the few folks that aren't into sports, why don't you explain it? Um, in a nutshell, it just means you get a year of training, um, weights, video, like you name it. You're on the team. It's just you will not play in any competition. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, that was really good because the level I needed to be at, um, I was also a middle mostly in high school and I was switching to the outside in this situation with coach cook is like, here's what you're going to do. We'll train you. And I was like, whatever you say, sir, I'm in. Um, and so redshirted, and that was great because, um, I love a weight room, like just can't get enough. Um, and so it really, I got to do a special program. You meet with nutritionists, just like I've never been more fit than in those moments. And it just kind of gave me a year to, um, attain confidence. I mean, for example, I went from never ever playing a single point in scrimmages to then being like subbed in on the start side in one fall season, you know, where it's just like, it was uh, one of my most favorite, I don't know, three month segments of life because there was so much learning going on. But from people who I was like, you know what you're talking about, right? Like just, (laughs) it was outstanding. And when you did what they told you to do, you were like, oh, like instantly rewarded. So it was, um, it was fun. So that gave me then four years where I could be on the court. So was it that instant, um, you know, you hear a lot of athletes that go from like high school to college, and then again from college to professional where they think they're hot shit and they're mm. really good. And then you come in and you're like, wait a minute, everyone's really good. As a matter of fact, some of them are better than me. What's going on? Yeah. Was it that for you? Yeah, I guess I never thought of myself as like hot shit, if you will. <laughs> like it was always like I got stuff, if you will. But again, I had such like an amazing group of athletes with me where there wasn't like a huge drop off, sure. you know, or there was, um, you were always challenged in, in training. So that part was good. But from high school to college, we had, um, I don't know how it was legal, but it was a pre preseason camp that Wisconsin had. And it was, uh, coached by Mr. Matsunaga. He was a trainer for the Japanese Olympic team. And at that time, Wisconsin had just gotten back from an international trip to Russia and they had played in Japan there and that's how they got connected. And of course, coach cook always looking for an advantage was like, you should come, we'll do a voluntary camp. I use air quotes there. Right. Um, and so I remember showing up and everybody's in like spandex full garb or whatever. I'm in my basketball shorts, you know, like, like just (laughs) like, okay, who doesn't belong here? Right. That (laughs) type of thing he's teaching the highest level things you've ever, I was like, I don't even know. And I remember calling home the first night, like, you know, in tears of just like, I don't know why I'm here. Like, mom, like, this is like, I should have played basketball comfortable. Right. And I just was like, and then you start to get to know the girls and you like cut yourself some slack. Like, okay, it's okay. Just work your hardest. Outcomes will take care of themselves. You're not going to be better than that four year starter. Like it's not going to happen. Right. That's okay. It will, if you just keep grinding, if you will. So definitely you have those moments of doubt. Who doesn't? Um, but then you just have to kind of get back to your principles, your values, trust the process. And, you know, at the very least, I could walk out of there knowing I busted my ass. Right. And after that, if it's not good enough, it's not good enough. But no regrets. So what year was this? Oh, gosh, must have been 90, 98. That's when it was. Because when I graduated... High school, um, ended up taking a two-month excursion in Europe. Oh, fun. Which was really fun, yeah. Um, I had befriended, um, she played basketball on our team, but she was an exchange student from Norway. And so me and a player who 
um, had graduated the year prior, we were like, yeah, let's do this, let's do this. And I was like, okay, but Kathy, like, I want to do this. Are you in? Because start saving. And she's like, really? I'm like, yes. So <laughs> we got our ticket over there and we did two months where we like toured Norway. We went to Denmark, Netherlands, oh, Germany. Awesome. As 18-year-olds. Yeah, I was like, wow. <laughs> No one would do that now, right? And it was legit with, like, your backpack. And we ran out of money. It's crazy. And that was before, like, you didn't have ATMs, right? So we had to, like, figure out ways to eat and, you know, all sorts of crazy stuff. But you meet a lot of great people, some just tremendous experiences, um, that type of thing. And then I came back and had, like, two weeks of training before the Matsunaga (laughs) camp. I was like, whoa, I chose wrong. (laughs) Well, going back to your travels for a second, favorite place that you... A favorite city, favorite place you know, oh, that you gosh. remember from your travels that still sticks on with you. On that trip, Norway is awesome. Like, and I don't know if it's because of the country or if it was just I got to know a lot of people there through the exchange student that I met. Um, so that part was was great. Um, Bergen's a beautiful city. Gosh, where would be the favorite? Yeah, at that time. And then if out of all of them, I really, I consider myself like a Catalonian. So Barcelona, where I spent some time playing, I think that city is rocking. It's such a good time. There's just culture, there's activities. You've got the mountains, you've got the sea, you've got a mixture of cultures. It's just, it's the architecture. There's just always just this high level vibe that's going on there. So that might be my favoritist. Tell us more about that, Barcelona. So um, I love just days where you start your day and you have no plan and you just walk, which is like what Europe's all about, right? Like just go as long as you got your feet, maybe a couple euros, you're good to go. And so um, we would have two days and then we would play and you'd always have that next day off. And so you're supposed to rest while, you know, you're like an American in a new, new country. You're like, no, I gotta, you know, grab the bull by the horns. And so um, I would just take the train in. Um, and it's funny. Do you guys watch Friends? Yes. Oh, yeah, of course. So Mount Tibidabo, if you know from <laughs> yep. Joey's reference. Yep. So yep. I actually lived on the other side of Mount Tibidabo in San Cugat. <laughs> so it's like, it's hilarious that every time I'd pass, I'd have this moment and I couldn't share it with anybody. Um, and so I'd take the train in and you can just get lost in that city because streets aren't straight and you're in different pockets and different things. I remember one time being in like a Gothic part of it and all of a sudden I see like 12 people in Minnesota Vikings jerseys and I'm like what I'm gonna follow these guys clearly right and sure enough they found like the one bar in Spain that was like actually having a Vikings football game on like (laughs) who watches football in Spain right like I would not have guessed that and it was great so just befriended them they were not from the states they were from England but whatever right like you did it you'd um it was just a, a ton of fun you'd go and see the different architecture um the food was amazing and you really, you couldn't go wrong. So I'm really excited at some point to be able to like go and like every parent take the kids and like, right. let them see where I used to live. Yeah. And have you been back pieces. since? I haven't, I had high aspirations. And then that thing called COVID hit. That sure. I was like, okay, I just have to like delay it a little bit, but it'll probably be better. Cause my kids will have a little bit more stamina to kind of withstand the walking and just the different hours and kind of appreciate the crazy. How long were you in Barcelona? Uh, about 10 months. Okay. Yeah, it was uh, an adventure. So originally how that came, um, so I finished my eligibility at UW, all right? And that was amazing because then you could start playing in tournaments and you could take the prize money. 
So great, because up until that point, you'd win, and then you would have to be like, oh, no, I don't, I don't want $500. No, thank you. You know, like, oh, it was frustrating. Um, and so I actually got a phone call um, from this um, guy, Steve. I don't remember his last name. And he was just, like, picking people from, like, the Big Ten to form a team called the Exterminators. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We were scary. Yeah. Super scary. Well, we ended up going, um, coincidentally, that year, the USAV um, Adult Open Nationals was in Minneapolis. And that is the only reason I probably said yes, because I was, like, finishing up finals. And I was like, oh, I'm going to be so strung out. But I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll go back to Minneapolis and play. Well, we ended up winning the national title which in open is like pretty legit. Like we played like Carrie Walsh, we played like all these names that some wow. like non-volley, yeah. you know. Huge. She had a broken arm at the time, but still. <laughs> no, don't mention <laughs> that. Didn't we'll edit that, that out. Yeah. She was ridiculous. Wes, edit that out. With her southpaw. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Um, and so that was amazing because that gave me um, exposure to sports agents that I wasn't going to pursue because I had just finished the process of, um, I was actually entered the Peace Corps, and I was supposed to go do some sustainable agriculture in the Dominican. So I was super excited to go do that, because I knew the last thing I wanted was like a traditional job. I had fell in love with travel, new cultures, things that you can learn. Um, and so it was like, okay, we found a place for you, that type of thing. Well, then again, it was like, oh my gosh, there's another level that I just didn't really know about, I guess. And so I got a phone call, um, and the one not regret, I can't think of the right word, but the one part of being a student athlete at a Division I school oftentimes is you don't get to travel abroad. And I'd always wanted to do that specifically to Spain. And so that ended up being the best offer. And so I kind of like, oh, what do I do? And I knew physically I'm only going to be able to play at the level that's going to allow me to do this for so long. Um, and so passed on the Peace Corps um, for now. And then um, it took me to Spain, which is great. So I was like, God, you can make a living off playing volleyball. This is crazy, right? Crazy. <laughs> right. So I ended up living with um, two girls from Argentina and Brazil. I mean, it was just like the most passionate place you could imagine. <laughs> it was <laughs> insanity. So my Spanish is like Castellano, Catalan, actual Spanish, and a little bit of Portuguese. So I'm sure. like, are you fluent? I'm like, no. <laughs> not, I can not piece at it all. together. Yeah, but drop me anywhere. I'll make it work. That's really fun. Yeah. And you were there for 10 months. 10 months. played for 10 months. Yep. So that was the season. The Terminators. Um, it was <laughs> not in Spain. Uh, <laughs> exterminators. Exterminators. Yeah, like, not the Terminators. The Exterminators. The bugs. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was, it. it was a lot. So anyways, that um, gave me some exposure and, you know, the sports agent called, that type of thing and um, traveled. And then I came back just to like see family, regroup a little bit. And um, I signed with a team in Croatia um, and for me, that was like my whole purpose is I was like, I didn't want to stay with one team for the duration and get citizenship, that type of stuff, which a lot of people end up doing. I wanted to go to all these different places just to, I don't know, experience what the world had to offer. So I ended up accepting, it was right out of Zagreb, Croatia. And those are some of the most like genuine gems of human beings. It was really a moving moment for me because they, the people I played with had gone through that country's civil war. And so their appreciation for life and not really the bullshit, like it just was, they were just like how I feel like everybody should strive to live, right? It was just so clear cut. You have your priorities. That's what you do. Anything takes you away from them. Don't do it. And I like it. 
Yeah, it was, it was really, and it wasn't just like a person. It was just like the war had taught them that. Um, and they were just so open and sharing. Um, but unfortunately, um, one of the very first matches had never had any problems, had finally got cleared, all the transfer paperwork, all that type of stuff went up and um, tore my ACL. Yeah, but the best part was, so, um, so I don't know any Croatian at all. And per their advice, they're like, don't learn it. It's too hard and no one uses it. So I was like, <laughs> okay, all right, pressure's <laughs> off, guys. Pressure's off. Um, but... You know, went up swinging, I came down, and I'm like, something's clearly, like, aft here. Like, what's happening? Um, well, the opponent from the other team was actually a player I played against in the Spanish league. And so, in Spanish, she's, like, explaining what's happening, what's going on. And I was, like, good to go at that time with knowing Spanish. And I was like, okay, well, this is great. And I was like, again, how small is the actual world, right? That, like, that person who I needed in that moment to translate you know but the best part was she's like and don't worry you got the kill so <laughs> my career ended with a kill <laughs> at least that highlight right yeah yeah for sure i was like oh well thanks but i'm a little more concerned about my knee right now but <laughs> well, all good. Be- between barcelona and then how long were you in croatia it sounds like not too long um i was actually in croatia for almost four months okay. i'd gone for like training but just the paperwork to like get you clear there was, I don't know, it was Spain. And I tell you the manana is what everybody says. It's not tomorrow. It's like whenever they feel like it, right? Like it just took a little bit of time, but they were great. I mean, they were well-trained. They took their um, coaching very serious. And um, it was a a beautiful, I actually lived on the top floor of a homeopathic doctor. And so that was really neat too. So my knee was just ginormous, right? And he like put this salve on it and I'm like, I don't care what you do. Like, let's go with it. (laughs) And it cut the swelling in half. Like it was, it was crazy and um, really loved the time there. Would have loved to finish it out there because that team was like definitely going places. But, um, and then came home, had the surgery. So any crazy stories from your time living abroad? Did you get into any trouble? Did you meet any boys? Anything like that? Mm -mm, None. None that I can say on the radio, no. <laughs> I was just going to say, you're lying. <laughs> oh, gosh. It was, I suppose, nothing like out of the ordinary. You know, you danced all night, got a little crazy. Um, yeah, I didn't meet a discotheca that I didn't like, let's be honest. <laughs> I have a few drinks and all I want to do is go dancing. So I sure. love it. <laughs> it. It works. But it was fun. Had some people come visit, um, which was fun to kind of be able to share what you're doing and, and things like that. Um, gosh, but what would be some of the stories? I guess it was pretty tame, perhaps. Pretty tame. Yeah. Well, neither <laughs> of us are buying say. that, but we'll let you off the hook. We'll let you off the hook. Uh, fair enough. <laughs> cheers. Uh, well, let's, uh, let's take a moment. We're going to cheers with uh, Lori here and also do a nice little shout out to our fantastic uh, drink sponsor. Uh, since the inception of the Get Deep podcast, almost a year ago, Wesley. That's right. Gosh. Awesome. So many good people we've had a chance to get to know better, but Chankaska Creek Ranch Winery and Distillery Distillery has blessed us with so many fantastic uh, drinks uh, over all these these podcast recordings. You know, our, our tagline from the beginning uh, when we created this podcast was uh, and still is premium spirits, quality conversation. And uh, it's, it's rang true um, from delicious wine to spirits like your straight bourbon whiskey or your Rancho gin or vodka to actually what uh, Lori, myself, and myself tonight have been sipping on is the North Forest Crim series, uh, having a little bit of maple bourbon pecan liqueur, uh, which is also delicious, especially this time of year. It gets a little chillier out. It's got a little bit more of a, a dessert vibe to it um, and uh, hits all the right places. 
Uh, what do you think, Lori? Have you been out to Chankaska before? Not to put you on the spot. It is one of my favorite places to play Pfeffer. Yeah. Oh, you like playing Pfeffer? Oh, it's so fun. I'm totally taking away from the advertisement, but you (laughs) and I have to go play Pfeffer. got super excited. Not a lot of people play Pfeffer anymore. I agree. It's the best, and I love playing it there because you can just always sample, and, you know, just they don't hustle you out. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. So, yes. (laughs) Do you have a favorite spot out there, um, whether it's indoor or outdoor, on the Chankaska grounds where you like to just... You can't go wrong oh, outdoors. Yep. I right? agree. But, um, but I have, I've been out there a couple of times where it's been rainy and you just get like, there's a door right by, I guess the front entrance that you get the nice little air that comes in yeah. and, um, it's, it's fun. But yeah, I've played like hours and hours <laughs> until you're like, okay, maybe we should have not done that last round. Is it too far to walk back to Mankato? <laughs> I don't know. That's on the highway. Maybe we shouldn't do that. Yeah. We'll wait longer. Yeah, it's a perk of owning a minivan. You can call up the hubby and be like, Hey, so <laughs> me and my Pfeffer team, <laughs> we need some rides. <laughs> uh, yeah, it is a wonderful place. Chankaska is is wonderful. If you want to go listen to live music, you maybe want to consider booking your wedding uh, there or just, uh, of course, maybe create a Pfeffer club and join Lori out there sometime. Uh, but we thank Chankaska and their sponsorship and trust and what we're creating here at the Get Deep Podcast. And cheers to the end of 2022 here shortly and on to bigger and better things in 2023. So, Lori, one of the things that I want to ask you, because we still have a lot to cover on the college side, but as long as we're just finishing up the professional, maybe not finishing, I don't know. We'll see. We bounce like crazy. (laughs) We bounce more than basketball. Um, But one of the things I'm curious about is what is a professional volleyball player, like what are they compensated? What's the pay? Gosh, what would it probably translate to now? Um, well, it, it'll vary, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I knew, thank goodness, because I had some um, teammates who went on to play professionally, I knew certain countries, like, don't go because you won't get paid. They just sure. say, yes, 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 and you won't. Certain countries, if you get offers, go there because they pay, right? Yep. Um, and then I also knew that if, if I didn't get an offer in the Premier League, which is like the, the top one, then I wasn't going to do it because they don't have um, high school sports, college sports, right? So they have different clubs. Sure. And so your pro team will have different tiers of that. So, gotcha. um, you know, like um, at MSU, I had a couple of players who went and played pro, but they were in a lower league. And some of them, like, you'll be able to, like, pay your dues and you'll, you'll get there, um, that type of thing. So there were some prerequisites, if you will, that I, I knew I needed to go. And then I wanted to make sure, um, it was called bring it USA at the time. Um, that was the, Tim Kelly was the sport agent and he was reputable. He would go to bat for you. He would kind of vet the club and anything you had in terms of like your housing accommodations, things like that. So, um, I didn't want to be housed in like a dorm. I was like, no, I want a flat want my own room. I want to be in a city center. I mean, I, I went deep sure. on it, I guess, if you will. Um, but yeah, I didn't have any bills. So I came back, bought a car. Like it, it paid well. I can trying to remember what it was a month, but it was more than I thought I'd ever be making. It's not millions of dollars. Or no, like no, it's, no. But it sounds like it covered like all of your living expenses and you had some left over. Yeah. I mean, you didn't have a single bill great when you were there so it was great and then they would just give you the checks and I just remember having like a drawer full of euro because I was like I don't know can I use a bank here I mean I could have right but I was like I don't know like just it was ridiculous I remember my sister being like this is your safety measure like yeah don't judge 
You can do whatever, whenever you want, though, because you got it right there. Yeah, it was. It was. It was, it was interesting. Um, so, yeah, but it, it's totally variable. Do you know, is that still kind of the case today as far as how compensation works over there? And is there any, like, obviously there's Olympics here, but like, what is, what's the pro level here? Every few years they try to like kind of get a professionally cooking again. Mm-hmm. So they tried, um, must've been a couple years ago, I think, um, to do, um, I can't remember the name they had, it, but it's almost like you would have like a fantasy league for volleyball. So instead of teams, each player would get a certain amount of points and the highest points would become the captains and they could choose their team for that week of competition and then points would be awarded and then and you would go that route and then afterwards you would have like a couple players who were the champions but not an actual team i think they were trying to play to like the sport betting crowd a little bit on that one and i don't think it really caught on for whatever reason um so but honestly when you look at like the big 10 that's fairly comparable to some of the middle teams in pro, like it's ridiculous what these athletes can do now. So we get a taste of it, if you will. It's just, although now athletes are getting compensated. I just read now that they can get paid for school, yeah. like for their grades. Isn't that insane? I didn't know that. Yeah. Or if you, Wisconsin's doing it anyways, um, for every year that you've completed and once you graduate, you'll get 5k. So you could walk out of there with 20K. But the cool part about it is it's not just for scholarship athletes. It's for walk-ons. You name it. So they're starting to pay that. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, it just blows my mind. NLI, that type of stuff. I can't wrap my head around, like, how those student athletes are able to manage from high school that level of financial stress, you know? (laughs) I mean, I remember sitting in my – I lived with – the UW hockey goalie. Um, there was like eight of us. We just kept adding people to cut our rent down. Um, and they had finished their season. And I don't know if you remember who Danny Heatley is. Um, he's a pretty yep. famous. High. Yeah. He had just signed. Right. And so we're playing poker and he comes and he's like, yep, just got my bonus. And he put half in checking and half in savings. You know, this is like <laughs> hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I was like, Danny, even I know that's like not the best situation there, but it just, it was, it sticks in my memory. <laughs> Danny Heatley. Yeah. Yeah. He played for a long time in the NHL. Yeah, a little bit of trouble, but yeah. yeah. Was he? He had a car accident that went okay. badly, but that's his business. <laughs> that's his business. Yeah. Always a great guy. He was, he was great. Sure. Um, but I just remember those moments of playing poker and being like, oh man, like half in check, you know, I just can't imagine all of a sudden being like, and now I'm a millionaire. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you think there could or even should be a pro level in the States? I just think it's too expensive. Yeah. You know, like with, and that's another like good problem. I think is when you're at some of the upper echelon in doesn't matter what division schools, I mean, you've Mm -hmm. got access to everything your, your, um, training, your nutritionists, your therapy, your doctors, your sports psychologists, like it's all right there that I think it's way too expensive for them to like go down a level, if you will, for the amenities and and things like that. It's just where professional sports has gone is just absolutely insane. 
that I'm not sure it would be viable or feasible. I think you're probably right on that. And I generally am not supportive of like, well, everyone should have a chance to do whatever. That's not me. But the reason why I ask is because I find it so entertaining to watch. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry to objectify women, but good looking women play volleyball too. You know what I mean? Like, I I just think that there's an audience for it. And Mm -hmm. so if you're talking about where the money is, it's usually TV. And so it seems like that would be a potential viable sport that could go to that level if they got the TV rights figured out. It could be. But then I'd be curious to, salary-wise, would it catch up to, like, what you would make if you're going to... That I don't know. Italy, Turkey, used to be Russia. I don't think anybody's going to go there anymore, Britain. You know, like, too scary. back to your earlier point, what countries don't pay? Gosh, throw them under the bus. Yeah, let's do it. It's kind of fun. I mean, we've got a pretty big audience, but some of these countries I don't think <laughs> listen yet. So we're getting there, though, Lori. <laughs> God, who was it at the time? Pay well. How about that? Sure. Um, Portugal, that was always a, um, you know, it sounds very appealing because it's a gorgeous country. Um, but you would go there, and, and there was definitely, um, it was actually a gopher um, super good like far better than I was and she signed with Portugal and she was there a month because she's like they didn't pay I'm out yeah. you know so that was one of them um, Germany didn't pay a lot but you were well taken care of Scandinavia you weren't going to have like the necessarily highest level of play sure. um, but you were going to have a good time uh, but yeah like Italy Turkey um, those are the two countries that if you could break through into that sphere, you were going to make some coin. Did some of your teammates from Wisconsin go and play in Europe? Yeah, we had maybe three that uh, from my class that did, and there was definitely like a sprinkling before and after. Now I think it's not so scary to go do because you have Zoom. You ha- like You can still stay connected, but at that time, like you really were... Like you're, you're sending letters and then you're, yeah. you're like hoping that your email will work from the cafe. You know, your home didn't have internet. Like it just, it was a very, it took a little bit more guts maybe to like go and do because you were going to really be cut off from kind of your, you know, which is why I loved it. Cause there's just nothing better than like, you're just immersed, like yeah. Yeah. figure it out. You know, it's going to blow for a while. Like, you know, like very, very tough. Like the homesickness is real, but then you get over it and you start to figure out the new life and they're like, I'm never leaving. You know, right. Like, right. Um, Did it ever feel dangerous over there in any places that you visited? No. I mean, I did get, um, was just sitting, um, talking to a friend actually. And my bag just got jacked. And I just remember this guy tapping me on the shoulder and he'd be like, you're able to see it. And I'm like, what? And guys running with my bag, which had my passport, my wallet, like, all of that. So I chased him for the longest time. And then he like took kind of a dark turn, if you will. And I was like, this maybe isn't smart, but I never felt like I would walk around places there that I probably wouldn't do in the States, if that makes sense. And I don't know why it just is something about the vibe. You knew you were going to maybe get pickpocketed, lose your purse, but you were never going to have any physical harm. And then I got the lesson of how to like get the documentation so that you can go get your passport and you know, all <laughs> yeah. of, all of that that piece um but yeah chased him for a while didn't catch the little bugger 
Son of a... I, ho- I was hoping that you were going to say you caught him. Yeah, took him you know, down aggr- to the ground. Aggressive, and, wanted, yeah. you know, like Lori that knife again. Lori would have kicked his ass. I'm just thinking you I'm probably I'm pretty sure would've... I saw him on the Olympic sprint team the next year. No, just kidding. <laughs> so he was pretty fast. Yeah, so you're going to forgive yourself. Fast, yeah, yeah, crazy yeah. fast. Crazy fast. The yeah. fastest guy in the world, totally. actually. Yeah, they found yeah. out later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was yeah. Usain Bolt. It was, it was Usain. Yeah, I don't know why he was there, but he was there. But the safest place, we did take the MSU team to Japan. Um, and that place, like, I kid you not, I think you could drape yourself in hundred dollar bills and walk and no one, yeah. would, it's just the honor and I've heard so much about it's that just culture. incredible. I mean, we'd see, and they, I mean, their business culture is there's it's next level. It's great. I mean, they get just trashed and that's what they do, right? If that's what the boss wants. And so we, you would see these guys in just these beautiful suits just passed out but someone would always like put some water next to them and like a little food. So when they woke up, they were taken care of. Like it just, it was, it was such a a beautiful culture. So that's definitely a place that's on my list to go back, revisit, spend a long, long time there. And my son's into anime. So it just kind of works. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Uh, children, let's, let's talk about your family for just a moment. Um, so you're married. Yes. How long have you been married? It's a great question. More than 10 years. (laughs) (laughs) You stopped counting after 10. Uh, I am notorious for, I don't remember dates. I don't remember birthdays, sometimes not even my own. And I feel terrible, but anybody that's close to me, I just apologize up front of like, I won't remember. (laughs) Doesn't mean I don't love you. That type of stuff. Do you remember your kids' names? That part I've got. Okay, good. I write it on my hand. No. That's good. Yes. <laughs> How old are your children? Uh, they are 11. I have twins. So oh, you do? Okay. A boy and a girl. Yeah. Okay. And awesome. They're, uh, little, little miracles. Um, they were born at 24 weeks. So out of the wow. 40, you know, they, my daughter Damn. Dylan wanted out. So if you judge by the statistics, one should not be here and they should have some sort of side effect, if you will. So I'm a huge, huge supporter of the Children's Museum in Minneapolis, because mm-hmm. that's the only reason I have my children. And then also with what the Ronald McDonald House does, because there's, um, which is probably why my current profession speaks to me, is there's, when you've got these really big issues going on, and you don't have to worry about food, where you're going to sleep, that it's type huge. of thing, it's, it, it is what allows you to survive and to like make it through those pieces. So, um, yeah, but Freddie was a pound six ounces and wow. Dylan was a pound 10. So like anytime I do like shoulder weights with like the two and a half, I'm like, this was both of them. Yeah. I mean, you know? you're talking about literally in the, in, in your hand. Yep. Right? Yeah. They I were mean, born so early. Like, you know how kittens are born and their eyes aren't open? Yeah. Like same thing. Like their eyes were sealed shut and you could like start to see them like develop. It was mind-blowing. I was actually working a camp, um, and these girls weren't very motivated, so I was just like, oh my god, you know, so like really just like, let's go, let's go, let's go. Um, Came home and wasn't feeling great, but you know, to all the ladies out there, pregnancy isn't always great, like, and you're told it is, and it's just, it, for me, it was the most terrible experience ever, like, just sick the whole time, so this was nothing new, me not feeling great, Um, but weird enough, my dog was wigging out the whole time. Like he knew something was up and, you know, I don't know, praise be to whoever watches over. I'd happened to have an appointment with, um, the doctor that day. So I got there and he like checks and he, you know, he's like, Oh, which you don't want to hear. Right. So he's like, Hmm. So he does a little bit more testing and he's like, you're going to get admitted right away. And I'm like, okay, four. And he's like, you're in labor. And I'm like, there is no freaking way. Like I'm barely pregnant. Right. 
um, you know, they did an ultrasound and they're like, all right, we don't have the capabilities for you. So um, within like 20 minutes, I was in an ambulance heading to um, the children's hospital um, and bought three days there with some medicines that they put you on, this type of stuff. Um, and then woke up and all of a sudden I was like, yeah, that's, I'm probably going to be delivered. Like had no idea, but contractions are real. Felt bad. My husband had decided to go home to like take care of the dog, to go get clothes. I was going to go stay at my sister's who lives in Minneapolis just to be close if anything went down. So he gets the call, you know, like your wife's in labor. He's you know, bad out of hell driving from Mankato to um, Minneapolis. But, but yeah, I had him a minute apart and we spent three and a half months there. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was, it was a crazy time, but got through it. And anyways, there's a long story of there's Dylan and Freddie. (laughs) Well, it's an amazing story. And, um, I mean, there are people that go through some of the same things, but it's never, uh, (laughs) none of those things are easy, Mm -mm. um, at all. And it, and it wears on you in ways as a parent that, you know, nothing else can in your life. You could have all these competitions and all these struggles athletically and in yeah. sport, but parenthood and going through those type of emotional roller coasters doesn't I, compare to... I think the being in the habit of like having to just deal, like to be like you just have to make it through to the next piece. Like I really do, it sounds so hokey and corny, but there is some aspect of like creating the habits that I had to as an athlete, as a coach, it definitely helped me get through that because I was fine until we got home and then it was just meltdown of like you could finally release and you didn't have to be like together on in control just focusing on the moment was really something that you have to do in those moments where you literally it could have been I mean I'm not exaggerating I could have kept just staring at my phone waiting for the phone call that one of your children passed away you know because they were just so early and had so many difficulties I mean my son had heart surgery at like eight days you know, it's just crazy. So I think there is something to be said about kind of having been put through the ringer, nothing of what that part was, um, but it really did help me kind of stay in a place where I could focus on what I could control, which was feeding them or being there. And, and I do have to give a shout out to MSU at that time because that was right during a fall season and I was associate head coach at the time. Um, and I was like, is there any way I can still work? Because your kids are just laying in a, you know, little incubator, if you will, just developing in front of your eyes. That I was like, I need something to just keep me focused on something else, on tasks. So I could watch a video, I could recruit, all sorts of things. And they were like, yeah, we can, we can make that work. So it was nice kind of before hybrid and remote working was a thing. They were ahead of their time. Look at that. <laughs> Look at that. Yeah. How has that experience changed your perspective in life in general? It definitely made me a better parent. Because you... You had to just rethink of how quickly things can just slip away, you know? Like, you just picture it to go a certain way, right? And life doesn't work that way. Um, And so I really, um, I had my priorities, but I actually stuck to them then, you know, which was like putting family ahead of things, those those types of things. And I think had they not been early, I might have kind of been addicted to work or coaching or like all those things to like gain that edge and not really been able to embrace and enjoy those those moments that everybody tells you, you don't get back, right? So how early into the relationship with Chris was that? Like, how, how long had you guys been married or together? That's why we got married. I'm just kidding. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. It just got a little comfortable. No, <laughs> no not at all. Me at all. That seems to be the American uh, way. No, totally. <laughs> no, it actually, um, 
So when I tore my ACL in Croatia, mm-hmm. um, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. So I came back to Mankato. My parents were still there. Um, and I happened to run into, um, well, Jen Blue, mm-hmm. yeah. okay, um, at the Y. And we had ran track together and played, I think, like a year of basketball together. And she's all sorts of awesome. Um, and she's just like, oh, well, there's a GA position at MSU in volleyball. You should apply. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, like hadn't thought of getting into coaching. Um, well, it turns out the new head coach there was part of the Gopher staff when they recruited me. Like just crazy yeah. small world. Um, and so I had this kind of maybe like seven month gap of just like to fill before I was going to start getting my master's and start that GA position. Um, and so I got a call from Sharon Early, who was the athletic director at West at the time. And she's just like, so I hear you're back. We need a ninth grade basketball coach. And I agreed. <laughs> Begrudgingly. <laughs> oh, I was like, mm, I could play basketball, but I definitely couldn't coach it, right? Like, it just was something that, like, well, you just do this. Like, why don't you just know is kind of how the game came to me. It wasn't through, like, this amazing coaching of X's and O's. Um, but I did it. Well, it turns out the ninth graders that I were coaching were in his math class. And so he made the mistake of asking girls, so tell me about your coach. What they heard was, I have a crush on your coach. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So they started teasing him, and they would come to me and just be like, oh, our math teacher, he likes you. And I could make them run. He couldn't. You know, it was just, um, and then we ended up at the YMCA, our paths crossed. And I kid you not, I was like, oh, I want to marry you. Like, it's just so dumb. But I've, like I said, I'm usually whatever it is, I'm all in. And he's amazing. So, it, you know, you have this torn ACL. I was gimping around with my, you know, big, huge leg brace. So if a man can love you through that, there he's a go. keeper, right? Yeah. Yep. So, but he was coaching the men's team at the time at West. So there was just like a lot of like, you'd be in sure. the same gyms, that type of stuff. So, um, yeah, it must have been maybe like three years, I guess, before we had kids. Okay. Well, and the reason why I ask is my parents went through a medical situation with my sister, okay. which um, I don't know how long it was after they got married, but it was shortly thereafter. And they were close and they were happy and they mm-hmm. were, you know, obviously married. But my mom and dad both agreed that going through that experience changed their relationship in a oh, way sure. that was totally different from then on out. Mm-hmm. And so I was just curious if that was kind of the case for you and Chris. Yeah, it definitely... It's one of those because we were the parents, it's you, like people empathize, right? But unless you're actually in it, it feels very, which is, you know, when you would meet some of the other families that were in it and things like that, it's just like, you don't have to explain some stuff, right? Like, it's like, okay, you get it. And so, um, and I always, um, one thing I appreciate about, appreciate about my husband is like, I can be me a hundred percent of the time. And I don't tend to be that way with everybody. You know, there's just, there's just certain parts where like all of us were just like, hmm, but he's the one person on the planet that I'm just like, it eh, doesn't matter. So I think that was really helpful too, where you knew you could just be like a hot mess and then he could be a hot mess and I'd be there for him, that type of stuff where for some of your other family members or friends coming in, like you knew if they saw you become that unglued, they would be extremely concerned and just, you know, which is great of them, yeah. but it's not necessarily what you need at the time. You need right. the distraction or the like, hey, let's just pretend things are normal just for like a little bit. Yep. If that makes sense. So yeah, it definitely, it definitely brought us closer for sure. Yeah. Those are crazy. Those are crazy times, especially when you're dealing with, um, life that you've created, you know? Uh, and I didn't, I didn't ask you this, but you know, there's, there's so many, 
when you start to, and, and maybe you realize this, when you start to go through the process of your situation or many others who go through infertility mm-hmm. issues and then other complications to go with it because they're yeah. on drugs to help things and everything else, you start to find this community or these other people that come out of the woodwork like, oh yeah, we struggled with that too. Or yeah, ours were um, preemies and we had to go through multiple um, weeks slash months in the hospital. Uh, it, it, uh, it really opens up a door to empathy of other mm-hmm. people with you. You know, it's, it's kind of its own little community. So the lessons that are learned though in those moments, that's kind of why I was asking you about about that too, is just, it, it changes you as a person, I'm sure. And um, my wife and I went through little infertility issues, nothing, nothing like what you and you and Chris went through, but it does change you and it changes your relationship immensely and also ha- makes you have empathy for other people that go through it. Is. That for is something sure. for both of those. Like, I think just people don't openly talk about it enough where like, as you know, like, it's just like, oh, it's like kind of everywhere. Yeah. But yet, and I get it because it's a very personal thing. It is. You I know, think people feel. Infertility, you, you name it, family planning, that type of stuff. Right. But. People that hold it so close, I think they feel like they're complaining or something. So they're like, I'm not going to, I don't, you know, no, it's okay. I don't want to bore you with my stuff. And it's like, yeah, well. Like, if you, you don't really talk know. about it, you don't recover from it too, you know, in a way. Very so, true. Yeah. Very true. Very yeah. true. Well, I'm happy for you and your 11-year-old twins. That's fantastic. Do they also have a competitive nature just like their mama? Um, my son? No. <laughs> <laughs> Scrabble in books. That's it. Yeah, he likes to draw. He uh, he did make Vex Robotics Worlds. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. is West, right? Do uh, well. He's in middle school. Yes. Yeah, so they go through point. the community center for right. this. But, but like the was, robotics programs are really blown up, right? In like the uh, last decade. The it was one of the greatest experiences because it's a certain type of individual that tends to gravitate towards it, right? And they're usually the ones that maybe don't have the most friends in school, right? Probably a son of a math teacher, right? Yep. Hence, <laughs> yeah. Boom. <laughs> yes. Yep. Um, so it was great for one because he like found his people and he just flourished, but then they actually ended up creating. So they took like last in their first tournament and then there was state, if you will. And that was still during COVID. So only one parent could go. So like me and my daughter are watching just screaming on the screen. I'm like, Oh my gosh. And so <laughs> it will mean nothing to you, but they scored a 78 up until that point. It had been forties. Nice. Well, there was one team to go, and it was the other Mankato team, and they got an 80, which had never been done. So it was like that, like, iron sharpens iron, right? Uh, Like, they would never have gotten 80 if they didn't have to beat the 78. And it was so cool to see these two teams just, like, geek out about, like, worlds, you know, which happened to be (laughs) in Texas. So, But it was great because how they work it for individuals, and I wish there was a way in sport to do this, is you have your team and only two people go at a time. But you form an alliance with the other team. So like they were playing, you know, had to form an alliance with like teams from Korea, from Ireland, from Canada, from Oklahoma. Like, you know, but you're not competing against each other, but you're trying to figure out ways with your two robots how you can collectively get the most points. And so they're interacting with people that they never would before, right? Like it was um, That's cool. It was super sweet. Yeah, I had no idea what we were getting into when we signed him up for it. Like it was his first year. And he was with the GOAT. There was a kid on his team who was just like greatest of all time. The kid, he could code. <laughs> um, so I, I have no, like, I get it. Um, but yeah, it was, it was sweet. So he does that. But my daughter, she, um, 
she likes to compete. She, yeah, almost to a fault though. So we're working on that, right? Where it's like, <laughs> yeah. it's okay to not be the best. Just enjoy it. You she, know? Fl- she flips over the board games during family time because she's much. mad that she lost. Something happened. Don't know. Can't lose yeah. if we don't finish, right? No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but she's starting uh, her first kind of maiden voyage into volleyball, basketball and, and things like that. So, and she, she takes to it and it's fun because again, it's, I think one of the great things I liked about sport is you get to get outside of your like school, right? Where it's like you can have East and West players together. I mean, that's like, woo, I can't yeah. believe how early the East-West divide happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's great where it's like, see, they're nice people too. Like <laughs> we can work together. So it's um, it's fun. And I'm supposed to brag a little bit about her. They did win the fourth grade state basketball tournament. Hell yeah. You there know. You go. Good job, Dylan. <laughs> there you go, right? Nicely there you done. Go. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, she'll be so embarrassed now. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's cool. How hard is it as a, uh, a coach um, yourself to see, for example, your daughter, you know, getting into basketball and, and volleyball and knowing when to, you know, be like, okay, so tell me more about uh, what's going on in the sport, you know, and mm-hmm. wanting to give her those uh, gentle, maybe slash not gentle nudges of things she can improve on. Is, yes. that, is it hard or do you find yourself just listening at 11 years old, just let her talk and learn the sport as she goes. I think Cause you were good from an early age. I'd, so it's gotta be a little bit challenging. I probably pull back more because I've seen what like coaching or like super involved parents will do. So it's just like, here's the ball, go do it. Oh, you want to play a little bit with me? Cool. But Otherwise, it's, you know, I will call her out if she's, like, maybe not being a good teammate, you know, and I might be a little too hard on her for that of, like, no, like, she scored, you give a high five, or, like, can't you tell that she needs a little boost, like, that type of stuff. Leadership things, maybe. Um, And then sometimes I find, like, the best way to do it is, like, you just give kids books, right? They're going to have, like, the right message or um, teach them a little bit of resiliency or just some cliches, that type of stuff. Right. Um, So I really, so far, now we'll see, right? Like, I do know that it's going to be difficult the longer she goes to, like... When I disagree with maybe how they're making a play or coaching this or that, that, you know, you just got to, like... You know, don't undermine the coach. None of that. Like, so that might be a little bit more difficult. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't know. It's just so fun just to sit back and just be like, "Wow, look at you! Like, how are you doing this?" You know, it's it's fun. But I do think the further she goes, it'll be a little bit more difficult to be like, "I know your coach said that, but here's what you should do instead." You know, like, "All right, your coach sucks." So listen to mama. Not that. Yeah. <laughs> <no>. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Yeah, but oh, she's so God. far like she's had some really great their basketball coaches are amazing. It was a great starter experience for her to like really get into team sports and things like that. So, so I'm going to give us whiplash and bounce us back to the college days because I feel like we missed just a ton on that front. I actually was going through trying to do research and I found this badass photo and I was like, I got to print this out because this is just too, you just killed someone. You twisted the knife and someone there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so. definitely. That's probably after a block based on where the <laughs> defenders are. Probably. Yeah. yeah. No, I got a kick out of that. But, Good uh, job, Wesley. If you could give us, like, the highlights of your college career and just kind of give us a walkthrough of, of what that was like, because you won some Big Ten championships, mm-hmm. right? And you were runner-up Should have brought the rings, and, right, guys? Right. But yeah. Dang it. Should've. I dropped the ball. I dropped walk, the ball. Walk us through it. Um, We did. So I... Came to Wisconsin. They had just won um, a Big Ten championship. Um, And the class I came in with was um, 
legit. We had a player named Sharisa Livingston and she did not lack for confidence. She was a program changer. She was all sorts of amazing. We were actually on our recruiting trip together and was not a fan because she just, she would just, there wasn't any, you know, no one could tell her a thing. And so I probably wouldn't have gone to Wisconsin had I known. Well, fast forward, she's like one of my best friends. She's the greatest person. Um, but she kind of set the tone early, I think, for the whole team of like, we've got expectations. And then from there, we had a really great group of um, individuals, especially in my class. Um, I can't say enough about, um, well, Lizzie Fitzgerald, her dad was a coach at Isidore Newman, which you might know is where the Mannings went. So when I was down year 2000 for celebrating New Year's in New Orleans, we cruised over to Isidore Newman to do lifting. And who's in there? The Mannings. <laughs> really? And all she said was, don't make eye contact. Don't look at them. So I'm like trying to clean and totally like, oh my gosh, that's Peyton. You know, like <laughs> just freaking out, freaking out. Um, but she had, you could tell she was a coach's kid and um, she really just held everybody's feet to the fire if you strayed. And then um, I had a friend named um, Marie Meyer. She's now somewhere in the C-suite of Hologic, like the global, like she rules the world basically. She's amazing. But she really taught, I think, everybody the true lesson where there's not a player who would work harder, but she um, did everything that was required to be great. It just wasn't there. You know, she, anytime she was going to get a starting spot, we would get a transfer. And she was unfazed by it. She's just like, so what? Like, I'm still going to do what I need to do. Um, she was the Buddha baker, if you will. Like, she, sure. she was outstanding in that sense um, and really just was an example of, like, what true greatness is as a human. And it doesn't just have to be in your stat column for that. So I was really fortunate that that was the group that I came in with to, like, have that balance for just, like, the intensity that I often would get still um, when I compete like I mean it's just and I would scream like that when someone else did something like always just it's there's no greater feeling to me than when you're in competition just in that zone it's it's just magnificent um, addictive um, so that's probably what that picture was so the Big Ten titles were great um, what years were those I know you're horrible with dates oh, and I'm just you know screwing you over there <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm sure I have them in one of these articles I printed out. 2000 and we'll, be, we'll believe whatever 99. you say, Lori. Just yeah, throw really, a few out yeah, there. Yeah, it was uh, clearly history. 1999 and 2000. Yeah, like it was yeah, like eight years straight. So yeah, it was a decade straight. Uh, um, and then we did, uh, we were a couple points shy of winning a national championship. So um, that was a pretty special run. I mean, we had... So the year we went to the final four was the year, the last year before rally scoring. So what that means is the only way you could score a point is if you served the ball and won the point. So our elite eight match was like just shy of four hours. It wow. was so long and we had so many injuries and people like there's just so many inspiration. I mean, you could do like a 30 for 30 on that match. It was just like inspirational goosebumps. And who was that against? UCLA. 
And we happened to be hosting, which was outstanding because that was a huge goal of ours because we just hadn't done that up to that point. So um, that was um, pretty, pretty amazing as well. And then we made it to the final four, which was in Richmond, Virginia. So the year before it was in like Hawaii, like, you know, all these glamorous <laughs> places. And we're like, okay. You know. All right, Virginia. It worked. And we were the underdog, which was just crazy. Like people had written us out um, and it was um, really such a great experience. And that season was special because I battled for my position. Um, there was a player from Mexico that transferred. Um, she played for their national team and Coach Cook was like, hey, you should come up. Beast. Like, she was so good. Um, but just didn't always put it together or would get just distracted by things that would take away from her game. And so it was kind of like match time you never knew up until the minute. Is it me? Is it her? Is it me? Is it her? And I hated that. Like, hated that. But it also got me to a level that I never would have been at, I feel. Um, so that match... Um, she finally was coming back from an injury um, and then she dove for a ball and she like screwed up her shoulder. So came in and we really were just flat until then. And then I'll never forget just like trusting the training and it was a block and this girl just ripped the crap out of a ball and it happened to hit my hand, like just happened. Jumanji block and like from that moment everybody just like locked in and it wasn't like me making that change it was just like we just it was that moment where we all just clicked and we never looked back in that match which was fantastic we were playing USC at the time the and momentum that, shifter it was it was yeah. it could have been a moment where I could have like pooped my pants or you know there's just like all these things where it's again it's like you know to just express it's so important how you approach your training during all those moments. Because if I hadn't approached it um, with the right mentality, not necessarily taking it seriously, but you just always have to get in that mindset of, um, you know, it's it's my time, it's my time. And if it's not, don't make an excuse or don't be a baby about it. It's just like, okay, but I'll be ready when it is. Um, and having coached enough people in similar situations, that's not the easiest thing to do. And I'd had my ups and downs through the season, like kind of like, you know, pouting through that enough and being like, nope, all you can do is, again, you just got to put your best foot forward, bust your butt, and then trust that the outcome will take care of itself. Um, so that was like the pinnacle moment of being like, okay, I'll remember that for the rest of my life, right? Um, and then we played um, in the championship against Nebraska. and We went five. It was epic. They had beat Hawaii, so they were all staying there because everybody had their flights, and so we had just like the best cheering section and and everything, and we were just a few points away, and it comes down to kind of what we were talking about before, is I think their coach schemed just enough points. Sure. That it, it made, made the difference. Um, what was it like with that kind of a national spotlight on you? Um, you know, I'm so grateful, to be honest, of like, TV wasn't quite a thing. Like, until the tournament, that's the only time we'd have cameras, like, on you the whole time. And so it does take, like, a little bit getting used to, I suppose. Although I will say we did have a match. Um, we were playing Ohio State, and we needed to win that match to win the Big Ten. And a ball was going into the stands, and there was a camera guy on, like, a stool. And there's no way I was going to get that ball. But in, like, the moment, I'm like, I've got to tackle this guy. They'll call a replay, maybe, and then we'll have another chance. And sure, shit, 
dove, took the guy out. He, he was fine or whatever. They called a replay, <laughs> and we ended up winning the match. But that would have been match point. But we ended up wow. then stringing three together. And, nice. You know, it's just hey. like all these little things where it's like there's no right way. Sometimes you just got to give it a go, right? Sometimes you got to throw yourself into the camera. <laughs> Pretty much. So fortunately, that one was televised, right? Yeah. Um, but the spotlight, I wasn't the star, so I didn't feel it. Like I think the other players perhaps did and some of them like i was saying um, our middle sharisa like it only made her more potent like more like oh yeah i'm good get on my back guys here we go it was um pretty spectacular and it was interesting though because the head coach of nebraska is who recruited all of us so he was wisconsin's coach and then he took the job at nebraska Mm. so he was basically his his team teams. against his team. Yeah, it was, yeah. it was, so that was a little bit of a Jedi like moment of like, Oh, you know, but yeah. it was, huh. it was pretty cool. It's very neat. Yeah. I've always kind of been curious about, you know, division, division one, uh, athletes, right? I mean, you're, you're uh, at a big school, um, known nationally for a program. Uh, you got to train, you got to keep on it. How do you have fun when you're a division one athlete that you know that a big portion of what you do is devoted to your athletics, a lot of times more though, more so than the, the academics, let's be honest, right. For a lot of people. And then there's a potential to go and and make money doing what you're doing and all those things. But like, how do you balance that? How do you balance that? You're, you're a young adult trying to figure out, Hey, I want to have fun here. I'm in my college career, but I also need to stay sharp, stay in in shape, get my nutrition dialed in to perform at peak level. Is it a team effort? You just kind of onto your team or it How does probably, it all work? I think it varies program by program, but for us, it was very much a part of like, make sure you still go and have fun. Like you, for us, and it's not for every team, like we still made sure that we would have those moments of like, you're playing with land. We got a couple hours, we're going out. Like just to go and release or be together, but not as athletes. Now, I don't know if that's possible anymore because again, my time was pre-cell phone, pre-social media. Like, I think now it would be really difficult to be an athlete known in any level without kind of feeling like your privacy or your like personal bubble is not being constantly invaded. Well, now you'd have a TikTok page and you'd be monetizing it. You'd be making That's money. That's true. I'd have some coin, but That's I'd be right. missing some good times too, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there, that was kind of intentional, I guess. Um, and that wasn't just from the players. Like it was like as a staff, they knew it's like, you guys just need to go and just like release, you know? Cause I think you can't like, this will shock you and it goes against sports psychology, but never have been. And I'm still not a fan of goals. Like they are not, for me, people get hyper fixated on goals or they make them only performance goals. And so when they aren't met or they feel like they're not there fast enough, they tense and it just causes all sorts of problems. I'm more of a like, let's create habits of excellence that are going to teach you and offer you an opportunity to get where you want to go. And it kind of, you know, it takes care of itself, essentially, it does. Like when I, the time comes. Like, you know, one of the, the mantras, if you will, is I think you create your desired outcomes, and that applies to, like, whatever you want in life. And I think um, sometimes goals can, like, jump in the way of that because they become these markers that you've got to check off where it's like, no, like, it's not a straight line, right? Like, we've all seen that chart. Like, yeah. it varies, it curves, it goes forward, it goes backwards, um, that type of stuff. So I think we were very aware that we had the capability to do great things, but we also needed to understand that we're human beings. We're student athletes. Like there's people in there. 
Um, and so that was really, um, a positive. And that didn't mean like we went out and got schnockered. Some of us did, you know, but some players <laughs> wouldn't. And that was fine. It was just like, you still just went out, you know, you flirted, you danced, you like did silly things. Um, and that was, uh, a really fun time. And you had your people, right? Like you had your people with the team and then they'd have significant others or you'd have your people outside of it. And it was, um, it was, it was fun. State street. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I brought that up earlier in the episode. Um, because I went there for Halloween oh, uh, one year. I went to UMD and oh, we, okay. a bunch of us guys and a couple gals decided, Hey, let's go spend Halloween on state street, mm-hmm. um, in Madison. And we did. And I'm going to tell you what, wow, what an experience. Uh, it was one of the craziest things I've ever experienced in my life. Um, and, uh, that's all I'll say. So if you get the opportunity to spend <laughs> Halloween on state street in Madison, Wisconsin, do it. I, I don't know if it's as crazy as it used to be. Uh, but it was, it was so many people. There was trash can fires. There was cops on horseback, you know, directing the crowds. There was, I mean, there was just nonsense yeah. everywhere. It was, it was pretty nuts. Uh, but a very, very cool city, um, Camp Randall. Also, if you ever get a chance to experience a football game at Camp Randall, uh, which we did the next day, I was super hungover, but it was really fun. Um, so it's a, it, it seems like a very, uh, seemed like a very fun campus. It's a college town. It's and a college I think town. that was the tipping point for me. Not that the Gophers aren't, but they're much more that now than right. they were, I think back then that I right. was like, Oh, I want to be a, a part of this, you know, good recruiting strategy. They took you to a football game. Yeah. <laughs> you're on a yeah. lake, yeah, camp you're on a lake cool. too. So yeah. You know, and the, the lake yeah. don't hurt. No, yeah, yeah, exactly. For no, sure. it's really beautiful, but, yeah. uh, I will point out the Gophers won the football game, uh, just, just this, Saturday, so just yeah, got that axe. New coach at Bucky, though. <laughs> coach, you know, all right, big things. Do you get go? Do you get a chance to check out some of the other um, athletic events here at MSU as well? Do you get a chance to go to some basketball or hockey games? Or I did go to um, football. The longest hockey game ever. Um, so I don't <laughs> if you remember the St. Thomas game. The first period was like fifty-four minutes. Right. There were so many reviews, and yep. uh, it was. It was crazy. So I did catch that one. Um, not as often as maybe I should, sure. um, but I do tend to like in fall, just get, I'm all in with like big 10 network and show me a volleyball game, show me a volleyball game. So, sure. um, that part. And then, you know, once hoop starts, got to watch my blue devils. There you go. <laughs> so are you, do you watch, uh, are you paying attention to the Badgers volleyball team then? Is that usually who you're, you're zoning in on or is I there other teams the that Gophers, you like? I cheer for the Gophers except when they play the Badgers because okay. I do love Gopher volleyball and how they play, what they sure. do. Like it's magnificent. But uh, Bucky did get a one seed, so I'm hoping they can get to the Elite Eight because that would be a day I could go so I can make it back then, which would be fantastic just to be that energy and um they're they're really good again so you know it still doesn't matter once you get to that level like it's just you know a game of inches if you will but um I'm really excited to go back and that's a beauty of like now that I'm not coaching is some of those alumni activities and things like that that you never could take they're gonna throw you up on the screen they're gonna be like look at former player Larry Rittenhouse (laughs) here in the stands she never played here what (laughs) (laughs) be too small now good lord they've got like a six nine six 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 four at the front yeah Yeah, an athletic i didn't know that women got that tall oh she yeah it's wow yeah yeah. that's crazy it's incredible uh what they have but yeah it's it's fun to go back and they're always like oh that was you guys and it's like yeah (laughs) (laughs) Uh, way back when 
So coaching, mm-hmm. that's the one area that we haven't really gotten right. too deep on. Yeah. Uh, what? So you said Jen was the one that got you into coaching, kind of, because of the GA yeah. position, right? YMCA, it's where apparently all the magic happens. It really is. Who Chris, you yeah. got into your coaching. It is. It's yeah. worth every penny of that membership. No. It is. It's great. <laughs> you know, shameless plug, YMCA. Yeah, Go no, check it out. Yeah. Um, yeah, so started as a GA and really... I've always had a love of learning. So, you know, like Coursera is like my jam. I love it. Just like obscure things that I really will never use. Let me learn about it, move on to the next thing. So I was like, well, I don't really want a real job yet. Um, I was recovering from the knee surgery still, that type of stuff. So, um, but just kind of fell in love to it. So I was the GA. And then when I was going to be done with that, the assistant position opened up. So I was like, yeah, I Got a lot to learn here still from the head coach and um, really enjoyed working with the players. And then it was associate head coach and then head. And it was um, a lot of fun, a lot of work. Um, I tell people now, I'm like, I loved coaching, but I love not coaching. Like, that's where I'm at right now. Just weekends are the most beautiful thing. And up until I left coaching, I'd never had them, right? Because it was always, as an athlete, you have tournaments, you have matches, you have things like that, that it's really just where I'm at in my life. It feels just really great to kind of have a little bit more time or you're not recruiting or feeling like you have to be recruiting or you're going to miss this athlete or how much more film should I watch and, and things like that, which are all things in hindsight you put on yourself. Sure. Um, but it's great. And now all my players are like getting married and stuff like that. So I need a second job to afford all these (laughs) wedding gifts, but, um, it's, um, it was really fun. I'm really grateful for the opportunity that I had there. Got to meet just a bunch of amazing people, amazing coaches. Um, and yeah, it just, uh, kind of left and then COVID happened. So it was like supreme timing. Yeah. Um, was it, let's see here. 2015 through 2020, I don't think you had a losing season. We didn't, and I'm telling you, the NSIC is the Big Ten for Division Two. It's yeah. insane. Um, I was always hopeful we could kind of break through into that upper piece, but it just, you know, um, we had some very, very great teams and great athletes. Um, and I would say, like, I mean – some of the special players, for example, would be we had a player named Krista who was just a total stone-cold killer in the middle, but she was in nursing, and she was just, like, one of the best parts about coaching is you just, like, those moments where you get inspired by the kids that you're coaching, and she had actually lost a patient, came to the match that we needed. It was, like, a must-win situation and had the game of her life. Like, there's few people that right. I know that could pull that off. And she did it with such grace and without any neediness or attention. It was just like, no, this is what I'm supposed to do. I will do that right now. And, um, you know, so it was coaching, I think, really taught me just there's so much outside stuff that goes into the actual X's and O's. So, like, you'll hear people in the stands chirping in regardless of what sport it is. And it's like, right, but you don't really know what's happened. You don't know if that parent just got admitted or if this, you know, person just lost a grandfather. Like, there's just so many issues that a lot of these student athletes in any sport go through, and they really do show up time and time again. Um, and so it's really, um, I'm really grateful for the people I met, the lessons I learned, those types of things. Um, but yeah, we were we were decent, if you will. Never as great as I'd hoped we could be. I really had 
high hopes that we could turn it into at least being a legit contender for a Big Ten championship, or a, excuse me, an NSIC championship. And I think we had a couple seasons where we could have. It just a couple points here and there, like I said, that just wasn't in the cards. Uh, of all the players that you've coached, who stands out the most? Oh, gosh. We're not supposed to play favorites, remember? Well, I didn't say who's <laughs> your favorite. I just said who stands out. No. I guess for various reasons. Um, the f- one of the first players that I had a very um, strong connection with was an All-American named Amanda Beekman. Um, and she just poured her heart into it um, and was always like somebody. She was just somebody who like people love to pick on her for her greatness, which I think is oftentimes it's just like, why do people do that? Right. But for whatever reason that would happen a lot. And she really just got through that. And it turns out in one of her all American years, like she had just a laundry list of really serious health problems that weren't getting diagnosed and they were presenting themselves as like an eating disorder. So people were making all these comments, you know, this or that, and, you know, and and I'm not going to share what it was or things like that. But I think if people actually understood, like, you know, read the bio of, of her, they would just be mad impressed with, for how like her body was running at maybe 30% capacity, what she was able to accomplish and contribute, not only on the court, but as a leader and as a teammate. Um, we had a group of families called the Sandstroms. We had three of their sisters that went through. And so they invite me to their lake house, which is great. You know, it's just, <laughs> there's good groups where they're just goofy. Um, yeah, I guess I could go on for a huge list, but it's it's fun. I have a player named Autumn. Her sister's going to be a Badger next year, so that'll be kind of fun just to see that connection, things like that. I think she committed at, like, age eight. No. <laughs> <laughs> Funny. Oh, total baller. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's fun to, you know, and it wasn't great connections with everybody. That's not just how coaching works. But, um, but, yeah, there's a lot of great players where it's fun to get the Christmas cards or, you know, connect maybe once or twice a year but still reminisce and see what they're doing now. What's your favorite thing about coaching? What do you like the most? Um, I think what I like about any position is I love trying to bring the most out of somebody. So like with coaching, I would always say like, I love to challenge and stretch people beyond what they think is possible. And um, coaching, it always surprised me how often people would shortchange themselves or they would reach a level and be like, oh, well, I'm here. And it's like, great, yeah, you're getting like 15 kills, which is the best on the team, but you're capable of 20. That's where you should be, those those types of things. So um, I, I did enjoy that piece. And then when you would just connect and like you could tell when you'd get total buy-in from a player of just like, oh, we're here and you're, you're about to do some really amazing things, like not only on the court, but in life, because you like, you get it. You get how like this stuff doesn't matter anymore. It's just right here um that i i do miss those pieces the kind of like sports psychology part or like the rah-rah speeches um and then i do miss that bond that you had with like working with your coaching staff you know they become your family you're with each other all the time um that was a really um had a lot of great great assistant coaches to work with too do you find i was going to ask you this too this popped in my head and maybe this was um jumping back a little bit to high school coaching or potentially college but uh, always curious as a coach, as far as the parent student coach interaction, you got this little triangle, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how often, if at all, does that pose an issue or a challenge sometimes when you have, uh, possibly a over overbearing parent or, um, somebody that thinks their, you know, student athlete isn't getting 
you know, enough time to play or you're coaching them differently because they, you know, need this type of coaching or whatever. Does that, do you run into that quite often um, there now always, or in the past? Always would be a couple. And even that couple just feels like a ton then because it usually right. does throw a big kink. You know, like I think there's nothing worse than when, you're talking to a player who's maybe not playing or got beat out and you're explaining to them like, here's why this is it, you know, tell me what you hear me say, you know, cause you've, I learned that quickly of like what you think you're saying, they're not always hearing. So you want to make sure you're clear. And then you can tell the second they leave your office, they're on their phone talking to mom and dad, who's telling them, Oh, it's cause coach doesn't like you or, or it's because this person did the, you know, making an excuse where it's like, I've always just come down to it. Like if you're not playing, it's just, I'm competitive, right? Like if you're not playing, it's because you're not the best person out there at this moment, right? Like I'm going to put the best person who's going to put our team in the best position to win. And that might not make sense to you. You might not like it, but you could definitely tell when maybe your message was being misinterpreted or the words you were saying were being taken out of context or maybe being kind of used against you where, and that's where it would kind of hurt because you, you know, for me, at least as a coach, like you pour your heart and soul into it. Like I would take a bullet for any of my players at any time. Like it's just, they're your family and they're so important to me. So it, it would be difficult in those moments where you'd kind of feel like, Hey, like I thought we had a connection and you would understand that. And then you're like, Oh, but I get it. Like you're listening to your parents and, and, um, and you can't throw the parents under the bus either, you know? So it would just take a little bit of time to um, rework and have a longer conversation of like, here's the steps you you need to take and they don't really depend on somebody else's actions, if right. that makes sense. What would you say is maybe the highest point and lowest point in your coaching career? Um, you can pick either one to start with. be like... Anytime you just pull off that big win, you know, where like being at MSU, we were traditionally an underdog maybe. And so there was just always um, fun when you would just kind of knock off the one seed or, you know, the ranked opponent, that type of stuff. Um, one of the favorite matches we had was uh, the assistant coach. It was Halloween. We were playing Duluth. Okay. Spoiler alert. Y'all lost. Um, <laughs> Fine. Gosh. <laughs> But he came out dressed as Michael Jackson to, um, I can't remember what song it was now, but he crushed it. Like he nailed it, dance moves and everything. Thriller. And so you fast forward a little bit and we were talking to uh, one of the players at that time. We just happened to be, you know, hanging out over there, volleyball world small. And she's like, oh, we knew in that minute we weren't going to win. <laughs> like, cause the team was just like, Oh, we're relaxed. Like, you know, yep. like, like tension exists. I think when like you're trying to be something you're not right. and relaxation is when you're just being who you are. And in sport, I think the more often you can get to that relaxation where like, you're like, our training has brought us to this moment. Let's unleash it instead of like trying to be a better team, like that piece of it, it really um, makes a big difference. And it was just like the most poetic game to coach and so much fun, so much fun. <laughs> Um, lowest, I guess it'd be any time you just have a player say things as a coach, like, and every coach has it right. Where they just like something you said, they take in the wrong way or in a different way, or no, that's not what I said. That's what you heard, but that's not what I was trying to say. That type of stuff. Cause you are so close. you spend so much time together. You have so much invested in players, especially when you're recruiting them for years and years that it's hard sometimes I think, um, 
to manage the emotions and expectations of a team of 20 because you're the one coach and they're like, that's who I go to for all my problems, my needs, you name it. And so to sometimes give everybody the proper attention or to pick up on some of the cues when someone might need a little extra, um, that can be challenging. And when you miss the mark, it hurts because you're like, oh, I didn't know that's how you were feeling and I would have done this. But then you have to give yourself a little bit of grace of like, you just, you're a small staff, you can't be perfect. And you hope they understand that you as well are human. I like that answer. That's yeah, a good that's answer. Good. Um, I, I was curious. Um, so, you know, recruiting, mm-hmm. right? I mean, obviously you travel, um, I'm assuming a long ways to mm-hmm. recruit, right? Mm-hmm. You know, there's certain areas of the nation that are known for different things. You know, football players are kind of known to be recruited from a lot of times the South. Yep. Uh, you got hockey players are kind of being recruited from the North, mm-hmm. right? Is there a specific area where volleyball players are specifically recruited from? Is there an area of the country or? Geographically, we are in no better place than Minnesota. Really? Yeah, there are four clubs that just churn out ridiculous athletes. So felt very fortunate there. The downside is, is sometimes you do have to go further out because everybody's competing for all those great athletes, right? And at least for me to try to get like, our program to that next level, we kind of needed to make sure we were finding a little bit more of an athlete, you know, like you can't, you can teach volleyball, but you also like need people who have like a certain level of speed, just athleticism, a certain level of jump, you, you know, or like if I could, for me, I'm like, I can see an athlete and we'll be able to teach them volleyball, like guaranteed, um, just with what we know. And like I said, I was really fortunate just to have some all-star assistant coaches who were just supremely golden at teaching. Um, so that would Midwest was pretty good, but Minnesota's just got such great, great athletes. So that was always fun. The only downfall is like, you really did feel like, oh, well, it's just like 90 minutes north. I I really probably should go today and the next day. And you know, like you felt like you always had to, well, you always had to make, feel like you had to have your face seen, right? Because everybody tells you, oh, it's FaceTime that matters. And now that I'm out of it, I'm like, "Mm, no, I really don't. I think the athletes I got, I got because they bought into what we were doing, the message, they met the team felt like it was the right fit. I don't think very many came down to because I was at their court more than right. Duluth or Concordia. Well, would you, it's selling, right? At the mm-hmm. end of the day, I mean, recruiting is also selling uh, in a way. In a sense, I think early on when I was coaching, it felt kind of like a sales pitch. And then you realize like you really want, for me, at least it was, I wanted everybody to know exactly what our program was like. Like, here's what we do. Here's how I coach. I'm not always going to be nice. I get really intense and some players gravitate towards that and others they're like, Nope, that is not for me. Thank you. And that's fine. That honesty factor has to go a long ways though. You know, like you're, you're being straightforward with them. Mm -hmm. And early on when we started this conversation, you mentioned about, and when I talk about the sales aspect, when somebody feels like they have the comfort of being able to say no, when you say, Hey, if we're not your fit, no problem. I just Mm -hmm. want the best for you because I care about you as a person, Mm -hmm. which you said, that's huge, right? Yep. So then it automatically almost gives them more of a want to be a part of a program that says, hey, you know, not fake, but I care about you. But if we're not, if we're not for you, that's okay too. It's all about fit. And the last thing you want is for somebody to join your program and discover it's something that you told them it was and it really right. isn't because they're going to be unhappy and 
unhappy players create unhappy locker rooms and it just becomes this big issue, perhaps, right. perhaps, right? And so you want to know that you're building your program on people who have similar ideals, not the same. I think differences are really important with keeping your kind of culture going and movement forward, that type of stuff. Um, but you do want um, people to just choose you because that's where they see themselves thriving, not because you had like the best pitch or the, the, best, gave the best, like, yeah, look at our cafeteria, room. you know, <laughs> which MSU's is legit. Okay. But <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't sell them with certain snacks in the, in the locker room or anything like that. Like, no, hey, we should have done the snack route. You know? <laughs> sneak them into rounders just like on state street. <laughs> yeah, right? uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, only the really good ones. No, yeah, just right. not true. <laughs> We'll take you for some cheese Chilitos. There you go, Wes. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Perfect. That shameless, would have been the shameless like, plug. Seal the deal. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> Only in Mankato. That's right. <laughs> Thank you. Um, are we good with moving away from volleyball? Because I want to talk about what you're currently up to. Oh, sure. Um, so feeding our community partners. Yeah. Longest What's name ever. It is. I like the abbreviation, but people that don't know, don't know. It's so. true. It's true. So, so tell us what they're about. What's going on with them. They're doing some great stuff in the community, feeding a lot of people. Yeah. So we are a local nonprofit, um, that started, um, just at Franklin. So like right behind here, um, in 2010, um, I love um, the story of our inception because it is about someone seeing a problem and instead of complaining about it, complaining about it, this person, Melina Wedzina, is who founded us. Um, she was like, I'm going to do something. So out of her living room with a couple of friends, they created the backpack food program, which is just, um, I think a lot of people don't know or put it together where during weekdays, if you're a student, you can have breakfast and lunch for your reduced at your school, but there's no services on weekends or school breaks. So think of Thanksgiving. If you're food insecure, which in a nutshell just means like you don't have adequate access to proper nutrition, that's five, maybe six days that you're missing meals, not getting enough nutrition, or just the anxiety that goes not only with the child, but I think with like their guardian of like, oh my, like, can you imagine like not being able to feed your child or that, you know, you would definitely not eat and then that creates another issue. Um, so she came up with this concept and then fast forward now where we were like in one school doing a couple grades, we're now in five school districts doing kindergarten through 12th grade. So it's, um, you know, I think the older you get, you start to define success in different ways. I think like in your twenties, it's like based with like your salary and like, what's your title, you know, all of those pieces. But then as you get older, you're kind of like success is maybe just like, being able to do something daily that aligns with your values. And for me, um, it always has been, but it's great to start to put that into play a little bit more and in a different arena. It's always been like, how can I make someone's life better? And that might be on the social scale, right? Of like, hey, let's try to solve youth hunger. But that might also be like, I have a silly Friday habit that started three years ago because someone in Panera ahead of me bought my meal. And I was like, oh my God that made my day, like totally made my day. So every Friday, wherever I go, whether it's Taco John's or you name it, I always make sure to buy whoever's behind me. I drive a Honda Odyssey, people, so just know. Yeah. <laughs> you see a Honda <laughs> Odyssey, Friday get with behind lots of stickers on, lots of stickers, <laughs> all right? Then you will get a free meal. That's good. Um, you know, so it doesn't have to be these mass things, but to me, that's really what like 
has felt so great about this career change is it's allowed me really to, you know, like redefine success a little bit, but really get back to like what my values are. And I think it's just such a great um, experience. But what we do is really important. And I love that challenge every day of like, okay, we got to raise some money because otherwise, you know, these kids don't get fed. And um, even through the tough times of like COVID and when everything just seemed really down, you had COVID, you had the Floyd, then, you know, Ukraine, all this stuff, like the world seemed dark. I got the daily reminder of how great people are through our volunteers, through our donors, through the people we serve, just being like, you have no idea what kind of hope you provide just via a food pack. So it's been um, a tremendous opportunity that just, again, like, I feel like so much of my life has just like fallen in my lap, so to speak, but it's really, I, I just think if an opportunity presents itself, you need to just act on it and don't just kind of act, but like jump in. And so um, when I was done coaching, I was like, well, I need to still do something, right? So I was like, I do, I, f- I felt this calling to volunteer, but I wanted to have it be a certain way. I didn't want to just like do this kind of useless. I was like, I need something really hands-on that I know is going to impact right where I live. And so I started as a volunteer and then a part-time position opened up. We were doing them as a volunteer. They would have these trucks that would go. I don't know if you remember, like they would have the COVID trucks, if you will, and people would just line up and you would just fill their cars with these food baskets. And so that was like me volunteering, but I loved it. It was physical. You got to interact with people after being like just cut off from the world, right? It was awesome. And then that was when, uh, you know, they're like, hey, we have a part-time job opening. Two months into that, they're like, we have a full-time opening. And it's just, um, I work with amazing people, and it's so much fun. What's the title for your position? Oh, gosh. It was uh, (laughs) uh, Community Relations and Development Manager. What? Longer than our feeding our community partners, right? (laughs) Yeah, put that all on a business Uh, card, right? Yeah, yeah. It doesn't fit. I've tried. No. Catch all, maybe. How's that? There you go. Uh, How can people listening right now, I'm sure many have heard of FOCP, correct? Um, But how can people that maybe haven't heard of you guys um, help out, donate, all the things? Yeah. So uh, coincidentally, I'm not sure when this is going to play, but there's, it's called Giving Tuesday tomorrow, which is a global giving day. Um, But you can go to feedingandfueling.org. And that takes you right to our main page where there's a variety of ways to get involved. You, um, just like any business, cash works, right? That's where we spread the dollar and are able to maximize and get just like buy in bulk. Get Right now we're serving about 700 kids every weekend. Summer, we had our highest enrollment ever, 1,100 kids. Jeez. Yeah, that's not just like once, that's every weekend, right? Um, and it's just, it's critical food for them. Um, and we get these stories every day. And I think what's really amazing about our programs at FOCP is you don't have to be rock bottom to receive help. So I was, um, at a meeting with the area social workers and things just like being like, Hey, here's the latest and how you can get your kids enrolled, that type of stuff. And I was just astonished at the hoop jumping that has to take place to get affordable housing. If a kid is homeless to get mental health help, to get, um, any medical service, like you really have to be rock bottom. And I guess I'm all about analogies all the time. And I see our program as like, when you're driving at night, you turn your headlights on, right? You don't see your final destination, 
but it allows you to keep moving forward just a little bit. And to me, I think sometimes people are like, well, you're not solving youth hunger. It's like, well, no one can. It's way too complicated, right? But we are allowing people to get some peace of mind or a little reprieve. So whatever situation or circumstance has gotten them in that position or that they were brought into, that type of thing, they can focus on that rather than on can I have food. And I think why I feel so strongly about that, the significance of that is like I was sharing about my kids. When I was in the hospital just you know, trying to make sure my kids were gonna survive, that little bit of kindness of the Ronald McDonald house, like it knocks my socks off of the impact that makes now that you look at it and understand like removing that stress allowed me to focus where I needed to. So that's kind of how I see our food programs is they just offer that little bit. And at the very least, whether you believe that people should get help or not, like it's not the kid's fault, right? Like every kid should have the opportunity to have their basic needs met. So it's a really sweet gig, something that I'm totally like bought in, all in. It's so much fun. Um, and it's, it's wonderful to see the impact um, that it makes, especially like right here in Mankato, you know, your home. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. How long have you been doing that now? It'll be almost three years, I guess. Yeah. And good Lord, I still feel like I'm new. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's so much to philanthropy, but it's a lot like recruiting, right? Like you're trying to bring in donors or the people who have given. You want to make sure they feel really um, good about the money they've spent, where their dollars are going. You want them to feel a part of it. So, and that's the other cool part I think about FOCP is like you can, you know, there's many great causes and you want to give to the one that speaks to you. But I love that ours is legit a place where you can just pop in anytime you want. I love pop ins. So head on over. Um, and you can just see what your dollars are doing. You know, we got two truckloads of food today. You know, we're getting ready for the winter break food box. So that kids over winter break, you know, almost like 10 days, right? Instead of 10 days without breakfast, lunch, or snacks, they're going to be taken care of, which is so special. What yeah. kind of food are you normally working with? So for the most part, we deal with shelf-stable items, and that's really two reasons. One, we don't have refrigeration. Like, just our warehouse is tiny. Um, and then two, we want to make sure that um, these products are something that um, when we buy, we'll be able to use until they're gone. Um, we supplement that though, which is really cool. And I don't think a lot of people know is, um, quick trip is awesome and Nicolet Mart. And then there's a couple other through some of the districts, but we get food vouchers so they can take a voucher to go get milk. They can take a voucher to go get like apples, fruit, you name it. Um, so that's also in the food packs. And those are great because you only pay per use instead of buying like 700 gallons of milk and maybe 40 of them spoil. It's great. It's just per use. And then there's, um, it's called the Hunger Assistance Network, and that is Southern Minnesota. All organizations that kind of deal with food insecurity, um, we meet so that there's not a lot of overlap and kind of sharing best practices and things like that. So there's some pretty amazing things that go down the road um, at Wooden Spoon, at Grace Lutheran. There's just certain places. So um, I don't know. I already loved Mankato, if you will, but getting into this mix and just really seeing how the community rallies or figures out ways to meet the needs of everyone has been um, just such a unique and kind of uplifting, you know, getting all hokey, but it's pretty sweet. It's a sweet gig. Yeah, for sure. That's huge. I, uh, I never skip a meal. I don't know if you can tell that. Can you imagine? I mean, the world's worst person. <laughs> no, but that would that would be tough. And being in the food business as well, because I have a restaurant, Sands, obviously, mm -hmm. um, it 
just, yeah, it, it would be tough. So I'm, I'm glad that there's such a great network locally. Our community does such a wonderful job of trying to solve problems. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, makes me proud too. I, I agree. And they have their, uh, and we're past this particular event, but I know every fall you guys do the beer brats and bourbon. Uh, That'll be in June. Is it in June? Yeah, we just had one of our, I don't know, my favorite event, I think it's called Cirque to Crave. Oh, yeah, yeah. Have That's you ever awesome. watched like Chopped? Yeah. Yeah. So items that are in our food packs, we had 10 chefs and um, they had to choose one and transform it into just like we had a craisin kimchi spring roll that knocked your socks off. We had a hot chocolate um, mole tostada, like just the chefs in the area, too, which all seem to have ties to SCC, which is also right. like pretty amazing, like kind of to bring that community. Surprisingly piece. amazing food yeah. program. My sister traveled to Italy through South Central College when she got her culinary degree before she took over the restaurant. And just fantastic cuisine. I wish she would cook for me more often. Molly. Yeah. Uh, That um, needs to happen. But you guys, here's one thing I'll say though, is is that there's almost too many nonprofit events and I don't mean that in any derogatory sense because I think all of them are great. Mm -hmm. But what I'll say is, is what you guys do are not just another event. I mean, you guys have full-on experiences, which yeah, I think if you're going to do it, you do it right. And I think you guys are doing it right. So kudos well, I, to you. I appreciate that. So it's the it's the two events. You've got the um, Beer, Brats, and Bourbon in June, and then you have the Cirque de Crave, which no, just happened recently. So that's the fall event that I was... Fall, and then January 22nd, we have... Um, so we've had the Climb to Feed Kids for... Oh, it's sure. its 10-year anniversary. Historically, it had been running up and down the stairs in the Taylor Center. Ugh. Good times. Um, (laughs) Then COVID hit and um, the year we, so last year was our first year where we actually brought it to Mount Cato because to like fit all the restrictions, if you were outside, you could have more people. Um, And so we have the same style of events. You get a team of 10 maximum and you have to run up the snow hill or the sledding hill and then you tube down and it's like a race. That's Uh, fun. It's super fun. That's going to be January 22nd? 22nd, yeah. So that one's fun with team events. And that one's great because it brings um, all the school districts that we serve. They all have teams and you get to kind of put faces with names of teachers who are helping you out, social workers, things like that. We get a bunch of youth teams from hockey to basketball. Um, It's just, it's it's a really fun community experience. So I think we'll end up having about 48 teams that will be competing. And I kind of thought it wasn't going to be that tough, but I had to sub last year and good Lord running in boots and <laughs> yeah. snow, even just the little sledding hill, yeah. like you get gassed. It is. Gosh, I might have to think about that. A beer it would taste really good after doing that a few times. You can sure sign me up can. if the ski lift is operational. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. totally. I will Honestly. ride that yeah. tube down. But then maybe your best option will be beer brats and bourbon. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, that okay. one's, That's that more one's, my style. That one's fun. We might have to bring this uh, pecan Bourbon. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes. North Forest Cran from Chad Casca. Maple bourbon pecan. It is really good, folks. I'm not going to lie. Try that. Mm-hmm. You can eat. I even have guests that have talked about pouring that over ice cream, like vanilla oh. ice cream, and then just going at it while they're watching their favorite show in the evening. I, love I haven't it. tried it yet, but I'm not against it. You said bathing in it is really good too, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. I thought that was just implied that I have taken a bath in it since we get so many delicious ultimate uh, moisturizer. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. It's really great. Oh, I love it. Yeah, I usually need help out of the tub. Uh, For some reason, it seems to seep into my skin, (laughs) or it's the long straw that I have. Either or. Either, either or. or. Yeah, yeah. You got a Fast Five, Aaron? I do, uh, Lori. I'm not sure Ooh. if you're familiar with uh, our Fast Five. It's become not so fast over the last year of our podcast inception, but um, 
take your time, answer how you wish, but it's the final five questions of the podcast. Mm -hmm. And uh, you ready? Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Question number one. If you went back to, let's just say, seventh, eighth grade, Lori, uh, knowing what you know now, do you think that you'd change your path and go a different path? Or are you pretty much grateful and thankful for exactly how things went down? I don't think I would change it. But with that said, I think whatever change would happen, I think you would have kind of equally great opportunity just based on, like I said, I think I've always just believed like you do create your desired outcome and it's your approach to life and those opportunities that are going to get you where you should be. And I actually had this thought um, not too long ago where when I was or graduated college, right, I was supposed to go into food, right? Like sustainable farming, food, feeding people. And I didn't choose that path, but then look at me now where I'm at. You know, so I, I do feel like somehow, it's full you circle. know, like the universe works in ways that you'll never know, or they're just like, listen to these signs of where you're supposed to be. And when you don't listen, it might hit you a little harder, hit you a little harder. And all of a sudden you're like, okay, I'm where I'm supposed to be. Amen. Question number two, what place makes you feel most at home or at peace? Could be outside, could be inside, could be yeah. with people, it could be without so my family for the past eight years, we take national park trips and we usually always at least make a pit stop at Glacier National Park. So that is my happy place with my family. We just take these ridiculous hikes farther than we probably should with our kids and kind of just push our limits. Um, but I love it. There's just something magical about being in the stillness of nature for me. But with that physical component, like I'm not somebody who would sit at the beach and be like, it's beautiful. Like I get bored or like doesn't work that way. I love that like physical stimulus with it, but easily it's Glacier. Why Glacier? Because there's a ton of national parks, but why that there park? There are. And so we spent as a family, we actually did a whole month. Um, we spent all of um, July in the Canadian Rockies. And we still on our drive home, we could go straight to go to Mankato or there's a turn where you would go like two hours north and get to Glacier. And I was like, so we have two days until I technically have to be back at work. What if we just veer this way? And my husband's like, are you kidding me? And I'm like, mm, we're already out here, right? Like you might as well. So I was like, all right, see if there's a room available, which usually there's not in Glacier. It's just really difficult. And there was one room available. Mm. So we booked Meant it. To be turned and and there you went so I think there's just something where it was maybe the first place I kind of had that just kind of visceral experience of like just that connection back to you know we'll call it mother earth but like um back with nature and because it's with my family which would be the only part that would like pull me from wanting to like leave or not having it feel complete um it's just absolutely um a magical place. And you can go on some hikes where you're just not going to see anybody else. And I think that's really rare these days. I love it. Question number three, tree. Okay. If you could be a tree, any tree in the world, what tree would Lori be and why? A white oak. <laughs> <laughs> and why is that? <laughs> um, they're slow growing, but crazy strong. Okay. And Do you want to explain more about the slow growing? 
well, I've planted one in my yard, <laughs> right? And I think it's maybe compared to a tree that I planted at the same time in Elm, the Elm's massive now and the oak is still just like, nope, just establishing my foundation. <laughs> still good. Not even going to give you acorns yet, <laughs> you know, but it just has this like such an established appearance to it. And I just love what it kind of represents in the terms of just like, I am who I am. I'm going to grow. And as I do, it's just like going to be solid, strong and it's a great authentic. answer. I like that. I haven't asked the tree question for a long time, by the way, Lori. Okay. Uh, I have, I've, I've, in the earlier podcast episodes, many, many, many months ago, Wes always would give me a shit. He'd be like, oh, the tree question again. What is it about the tree question? Well, at least it wasn't a fruit, like that terrible interview <laughs> question, right? Like, what's a fruit? Mm. Yeah, what's a fruit? <laughs> and out the door I go. <laughs> uh, question number four, uh, celebrity crush. Do you have anybody, athlete, actor, actress? I would probably still be Michael Jordan. <laughs> yeah, still to this day, huh? Yeah. Just yeah, does is it is still old, but he just is a stone cold killer, right? Yeah. Like just Watch no out, nonsense. Chris. I know, right? He's <laughs> <Yeah. only> one. <laughs> on my laminated card. No. There you go. I'll pass. Yeah. Well, you're competitive, so it that that's a big part of the attraction is Michael Jordan was just the goat for competitive nature. I yeah. mean just and not stud. because he was the best, but like he was going to do anything he in within his power to yeah. do that. I don't necessarily agree with everything, you know, but like he, there wasn't a competition that you knew you weren't going to get the best from him, regardless yeah. of sickness, feeling good, family situation, the opponent, like he was going to come from you. And I loved his response when like people would quote unquote, like disrespect. Like, I love that when people just like elevate their game. I mean, I remember, reading an article, we were going to go play Iowa at the time, who they weren't great. So they had no business spouting off. And we had a very talented freshman class at this time. And I read the article where this player was just like, oh my gosh, our freshmen are the best in the Big Ten, hands down. You can't compare. And it pissed me off. I was like, how dare you? And it probably was the most like benign, like totally not. But like when I looked at it through my lens, I was like, I'm coming for you, right? And so we, we went there and I probably never played better. And it was strictly because I was like, you talked smack about my teammates who are tearing you up and you will not get a kill or like, like things like that. But it was really, I think just from like channeling or watching like Michael Jordan through the years of just like, nope, anybody says anything, you like come harder, right? Like you, you go for it. Um, so yeah, he's an easy one. <laughs> awesome. Have you seen The Last Dance on Netflix? Yes. What'd you think? I wasn't surprised. Of Again, course. I can't agree with everything, but yeah. I also think, and it was funny because it just came with like the Golden State Warriors, right? Like yeah. there are certain like infighting mm -hmm. that I feel at elite programs are almost a necessity and you shouldn't air that outside of it. You know, like I do think like a great culture isn't one that's harmonious and happy all the time, but it's one that understands you have this common purpose, this common mission and there will be distractions or things that just you don't agree with, but you've got to be able, a good culture will have mechanisms within where you talk to each other about it, where you work it out within in full trust that it won't leave those boundaries. Because once it does, as we've seen with like certain teams, like it's just over. So I feel like that video or the last dance, it kind of like put out there things that maybe should have, but enough time has passed. Like... Yeah, you know those pieces but I think people are like oh and I'm just like 
you don't know the whole thing that goes up to it. Or, you know, I'll be the first to admit, like, you get super competitive. You'll say stuff that you're just like, oh, I'm sorry. But that's just <laughs> how it came out. And if you're teammates in the true sense, they'll cut you some slack. Or you'll be big enough to be like, hey, I lost my shit there. It's not what I meant. We're cool, right? You know, or what can I do to make it cool? Yeah. That type of thing. Question number five. Dylan, Freddie. <laughs> so message uh, for the future. Let's say that, uh, you know, Lori, you've obviously accomplished a lot throughout your life. You got a lot more things to go and you're super competitive, right? But let's just say that tonight, tomorrow, right? That's it. That's it, right? Um, Dylan and Freddie, uh, what would be the message that you'd hope that they would hear, whether in writing or whether you verbally telling them uh, for their future from all the lessons that you've learned throughout your life? Um, it would probably be... There's no good or bad without you. And I mean that in the sense of what I try to teach them or wouldn't be able to teach them, if you will, considering if I would be gone, would be, I think there's the situation and then there's the story we tell ourselves about it. And I think that narrative has a lot of power. And it, well, a lot of it is your perspective, right? That I think sometimes, or the lesson I've learned through life is, you know, sometimes you got to like, really just understand like that's just the situation it's all the crap I'm unloading on it that's making it worse than it really is so I think I would just try to keep it simple as just like there's no good or bad without you like what meaning like the story you're telling yourself the narrative you're giving to that situation I think that's wise solid I like it very much this well, has been fun either Aaron or I Knew you before this. Now I feel like we're best yeah, friends. Totally. I'll give good. you my Christmas card. Yeah, there we go. I love it. No, this has really been enjoyable. I think. Well, I appreciate uh, the invitation. You yeah. guys are awesome. Well, thanks for jumping on a podcast with two random guys at seven o'clock at night and agreeing to drink alcohol with them with very little. If you knew me, you know that's not a stretch. <laughs> well, I'm still waiting for those stories from, from Barcelona. Okay. When we get off the podcast, you can, you can let those out. So. I also like the two random guys thing you just mentioned, Wes. Maybe that should be the new name of the podcast. Get deep with two random guys. Although it does sound pretty bad. There's you put the title in front of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, thank you, Lori. And uh, yeah, it's good, good to get to know you tonight. Uh, thank well. you thank you for all the contributions, uh, whether in sport for MSU and, and Mankita West. Uh, I was a Scarlet, by the way. Nice. Um, so appreciate all the contributions uh, with the backpack program as well. And just keep doing big things and keep leading those kids. And we're going to continue to give back to this beautiful community we live in. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks.